Hello and welcome to the 250, your fortnightly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes, when we've got a weekend chock-a-block full of recordings, movies that have never been on the list at any point whatsoever, but Darren feels comfortable talking about. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing very well, um, Darren. I don't, well, I, I, I suppose I was a little bit sleepy, had a little nap, went off, got some coffee... Some of those ooey gooey, so soft and chewy cookies. Yeah. Um, that Domino's do. Which, by the way, it's not like a. I I don't like people calling it that or, or saying it. Or <laughs> but ooey gooey or Domino's? Ooey gooey, so soft and chewy. That's the first time I've ever heard that phrase uttered. It's on all of the boxes. Is, oh, okay, they, okay. They, I, I suppose you go in a fugue state. <laughs> you get a domino. <laughs> you just wake up the next day and Surrounded your by empty box. Your, your your jean shorts are all torn. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, I just want to get rid of the evidence as quickly as possible. It's like, no, I don't want any reminder of what the, I'm not going to read any of these boxes. Um, but yes, so what we're talking about today is we're talking about eating Domino's takeaway. Um, <laughs> no, we are talking about as the title of the episode suggests, Leonard Nimoy's Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. The frequent joke being that. If the cast and crew of the Enterprise wanted to look for Spock, uh, the best place was to start behind the camera. But yeah, so we are covering the Star Trek movies whenever we have a blank slot in the schedule. We're working through them kind of chronologically. We did the motion picture. We did the Wrath of Khan. Now we've done Star Trek Three, and Andrew probably addressing the the, uh, the like the the Star Warsness <laughs> of the podcast, right? <laughs> Counterbalancing. Not that we feel that Star Trek movies are like have as much of a right to be in the list as Star Wars movies they don't <laughs> they don't have the same kind of um i guess uh, cultural uh, deep cultural cultural <laughs> cultural <laughs> um significance yeah i mean well again this is maybe something that i want to talk about when we talk about the search for spock it's the idea that like star trek has always been a tv franchise and the films have always felt secondary yeah, They're like they are a secondary thing. They're not like people don't think of. Well, I mean, maybe they think of the Wrath of Khan. Maybe they think of William Shatner yelling Khan, the veins and the eyeballs popping and all this sort of stuff. But you tend to think of the show. You think of the adventure shows. When you think of the next generation, you don't even really think of First Contact. You think of the show. You think of the uniforms from the show, the set from the show, the Enterprise all from the, memes. the show. What? All the many, many next generation memes. Yes, having that, that's their legacy now. I think there's like a lot of people who don't watch the show, but have, like, Picard and Riker walking down corridors and, um, like, uh, da- da- Data kind of um, pulling his um, his his, his um, uniform in and um, uh, Picard shaking his head with his, his well, the palm, face palm over his face. Well, the, the, yeah. Like, Picard's face palm is, is, like, one of the great internet memes, for example. Yes. But, like, that, that's the thing, is that Star Trek has always been more of a TV franchise than a film franchise, and the films have always felt secondary, and we talked about how, when we did the motion picture, that, like, the only reason that there are Star Trek films is because there were Star Wars films, and Paramount were like, we want to get some of that sweet, sweet money, so let's make a gigantic slow cinema homage to 2001 <laughs> A Space Odyssey from the director of West Side Story. And obviously, we we talked production-wise about how, like, the motion picture made a lot of money in 1979, but Paramount were like, we dodged a bullet on that one. And we're like, you get to make another one, but at, like, zero times the budget. 
Um, and at like zero times the amount of schedule and zero times the kind of special effects budget and all this sort of stuff. And they make the Wrath of Khan. And the Wrath of Khan comes out and it is a massive success, particularly proportionate to its budget. Paramount are like, huh, maybe life in this whole Star Trek thing yet. Let's try it again, but let's not give them any more money. Um, crucially, like that's the really interesting thing about the search for Spock. That's after it? being given zero times the money, which which is infinitesimal. Zero. Yeah. No, it, it's it, it's it's it, it's I, I think it's not quite zero, but it's like approaching zero. <laughs> it's like the money that ants use. Yes. Um, from the, the, the movie Ants starring Woody Allen, which is definitely a movie that still exists in the popular consciousness. <laughs> a counterpoint to A Bug's Life, a movie starring Kevin Spacey, which also exists in the popular <laughs> consciousness. Um, we have dueling sexual predator ants movies from the early 2000s. What a time to be alive. But yes, so the search for Spock is commissioned by Paramount. They're like, look. For everyone's tastes. <laughs> everything you could possibly want. But you do, Paramount are like, look, the, the Wrath of Khan made money. We're not sure that Star Trek is viable. Let's make another movie on a similar price point and see if that hits comparably. And then we can talk about scaling upwards. So obviously, um, they decide that. Look, Leonard Nimoy had a good time on the Wrath of Khan. Fans got really excited about, like, the spockiness of it. So the first thing we want to do is reverse the ending of the Wrath of Khan. The entire premise of this movie is Spock was dead, but now he's back, baby. Uh, That's not really a spoiler. The movie is titled The Search for Spock. The poster features Spock's face prominently. And the entire premise of the movie is we're going to get Spock back. Yeah, it's kind of like in in case you've checked out now that Spock is dead... Kind of, we, we, we've, we've played that gambit <laughs> yeah. to kind of... Um, Get your attention. Yeah, it's like, what will we do here? What beloved um, a, a, like um, character, if you like, of the series will, will, we, will we get rid of? Um, <laughs> and, um, well, I think and, that, I mean, maybe we're going to maybe, and spoiler. maybe bring back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so they commission it. Um, obviously... They ask um, the director, uh, Nicholas Mayer, who directed The Wrath of Khan, a huge part of that movie's success, to come back and direct The Search for Spock. And like we, We've spoken about on Star Trek Six as well. Yes. On Discover Country. Very much like one of the underrated guiding lights of the franchise, a man who helped save Star Trek, arguably from itself. Um, but like Mayer, and to his credit, like, and I actually love this about him, he's spoken very frankly and very simply about it, which is like, look, I thought killing Spock was a good idea. So when they came back and were like, we want to bring Spock back, I was like, I don't, I have no interest in doing that. That's not a movie that I want to make. So it was like, no disrespect. See you guys later. Like four movies later, I guess. Um, And so Paramount are like, okay, who are we going to hire to direct this at a similar price point? And then her Nemo is like, well, you know, I've always wanted to direct. And they're like, will that convince you to sign on to reprise the role of Spock? And it's like, it just might. <laughs> so Paramount kill two birds with one stone. They hire Leonard Nimoy to direct the movie. It's every actor. The the um, kind of well, sorry, a, a, a lot. There, there's the cartoon, the talking dog, with the talking dog, and it's like, well, I really want to direct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I actually want to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like again, it, it's worth mentioning that like Leonard Nimoy. Ken, very, very briefly, Nimoy is a fascinating character because he, he had been doing directing. He had been branching out when it became clear that he wasn't going to be a breakout television star. Fam- famously, three, three Men and a Baby, right? 
which was the highest grossing movie of like 1987. So a successful director. And it's certainly yes. a movie that I had seen. Now, to be fair, it, it is worth noting that Nimoy had actual directorial uh, experience at this point. He directed a number of TV episodes, including episodes of, say, Night Gallery, and he directed T.J. Hooker. Obviously, the TV show starring William Shatner, an actor he had worked with previously as well. And I believe he'd also adapted uh, Vincent, which was a one-man show starring adapted by and directed by Leonard Nimoy, which was a television movie. But I think Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock appears to have been his first feature film directorial credit. Now, obviously, he went on to have a very uh, interesting career afterwards. He would go on to direct Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Uh, he'd go on to direct Three Men and a Baby, which we've already talked about. And I think that one of the more interesting things in, in kind of Nimoy's filmography, which we don't talk about often enough, is like The Good Mother from 1988, which features a, a frankly bizarre sequence in which Liam Neeson is like naked uh, with a very young child actor on screen at the same time. Uh, which, you know, is maybe something that, that maybe comes up a little bit in, in Star Trek Three: uh, The Search for Spock. There's maybe a little bit of that kind of inappropriate uh, sexual content involving a minor. But I'm sure sure we'll come back to that. But yeah, obviously Nimoy went on to be a massively successful director. We talked already about, like, The Voyage Home was the most successful movie in the franchise until... Is that a teaser? Yep. <laughs> for, for listeners. <laughs> <laughs> like, we we may or may not be covering yeah, uh, three men on the lake. What minor? Yeah, you won't believe who it is. <laughs> um, but like he, oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about Leonard Nimoy directing Star Trek Four. Um, but yes, no, he directs Star Trek Four. That is a massive success. It's the biggest success the franchise has until Abrams reboot in two thousand nine, um, which is fantastic. And he goes on, he has that career that includes three men and a, and a little lady, three men and a baby, um, which is a massive success as well. Did he also, I, I, I think he didn't do three men and a little lady. No, he right? didn't. Yeah, yeah. He didn't. Um, but yeah, all right. So let's talk a little bit about Star Trek Three. Do you remember the first time that you saw Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock? So I would have seen all of these, I think, in um, while I was living in Balana between 1994 and 1998. We would have gotten them from the um, kind of extravision, I think, which was across from the um, the, the dumb stores. Yeah. Um, that kind of shopping center there. Yes, in, it was in, opposite the Tesco. In Balana. Oh, Balana, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You had an extra. This is how big like video stores were in the 90s. It's like Sligo didn't just have an extravision. Balana had an extravision. Like well, yeah, I think most, a, I think a lot of towns either had one of those or like some version of a video city. Yeah. yeah, video city was the the competing. It's like uh, chain, literally just around the corner. They were within yeah. walks of each other. If you couldn't find what you wanted next revision, you came went to like city. a half um, uh, DVDs, half tanning. Yes, um, and it, it, it had a um, I think an internet cafe, and and now I think it's kind of like. Uh, phone accessories possibly like uh, there They're was a... under new ownership <laughs> <laughs> constantly no, no no longer i don't think referred to as video city i mean the there's... extra vision stayed there for quite a while yes as in that it, it was there was uh, the um before it, it before it being what it is now which i think is kind of like a diner where they have like you know hot dogs and it's like a version of um Eddie Rock Rockets or okay. Johnny Rockets for they had a um I think it was like a kind of a, a half 
HMV, like or okay. half um, golden disc kind of thing, yeah, or so something like that. It was like a co-owned kind of like space, oh, shared which, space. which did music and um, yeah, like all kinds of digital media. But that didn't last very long either. Obviously. Well, I mean, again, like it's it's worth noting that tanning salon thing that you mentioned was a weird phenomenon in like the twenty two thousand eight like post recession thing. Yeah, where it was like, how do we put these two great tastes that taste great together? If you're watching lots of movies, you're probably not going outside that often. You want to work on your tan, <laughs> so we got this perfect captive audience for like tanning salons, like the in Swords where you are right now. Uh, there's a solicitor's office just the around Darren the corner Warren. there. In the Darren Warren, there's a solicitor's office just around the corner that I remember going through that exact it's evolution. It's either Darren Warren or Darren Warren. Darren. It can't be both. <laughs> no. um, but there's, like a, there's a solicitor's <laughs> office, which is also a tanning salon. Yeah, which used to be a video store and was then a video store and tanning salon. And was then, I don't know if it was ever like a video store and solicitor's office. It feels like it feels like it kind of shimmied and shifted over the years, but like it is, it is fascinating. But yeah, so you saw the search for Smock as part of that early that wave. That wave were you and your brother, I think you said. Yeah, were watching yeah, it. exactly. So we would have been watching Next Generation on television, kind of at that time, and it was kind of it, it was it was peak um, Star Trek a little bit, yeah. as as in for Irish viewers anyway and 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 per, per perhaps internationally but i know the the spock episode was kind of like front of the rte guide i think yeah in terms of cultural um, impact yeah yeah, yeah. rte but, being radio telefisher and the, the national broadcaster here yeah. so yeah it was it was it was a big deal it was kind of appointment viewing i think or it certainly was for us I mean, again, like, it's hard to, uh, you know, overstate how big Star Trek was at that, like, point, those three years, where you go from Spock's appearing in The Next Generation. Yeah. Star Trek is launching its first spin-off, Deep Space Nine, which is in parallel with The Next Generation. Next Generation is ending, but Voyager is starting, but also Next Generation is going into the movies in the same year. Also, we're opening a theme park in Las Vegas, um, where it's just, and obviously, like, video games are everywhere featuring it. Like, there's this huge explosion of, like, Fleet was, Commander and Bridge Commander and all that. I was thinking about it the other day, how it should be, like, the best video game, really. But but having said that, and, and I was thinking about, kind of, like, Rockstar making, like, a That's Star Trek right. thing. But then again, I think if Rockstar made most things, <laughs> it would just be very good. Like, making an open-world version of, like, most kind of... Um, things that people like yeah would just be very um compelling yes. like where 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 you have holodecks where yeah. some players just never go on the missions yes they- <laughs> <laughs> but they just recreate the various planets or whatever like cowboy planet or um like prospector planet or whatever the planet of the week gangster planet just happens to well, be well yeah it's like watching television in in um in gta um, yeah. san andreas or something yeah um but yeah like that that's the yeah i i mean and again i would have a similar story that the thing for me with the search for spock which is interesting is that this was my first star trek movie oh really yeah because i'd obviously i've been watching next generation on television love the next generation the Next Generation movies hadn't begun yet with Generations, so they didn't have their own feature films. We were going to, as you said, the video store was appointment. Like, every week on Friday night, we go to the video store, we pick movies to watch as a family. 
And occasionally they do things like have a three for two. Generally, it was you, you rent two for a certain price, and that's your Friday night and your Saturday night. And occasionally, they'd have an offer where you get three for a weekend or something like that. And so I get to pick a third one that I wanted to watch. And I was like, there are Star Trek movies? That sounds amazing. And I was like, how do I? There are so many Star Trek movies, because this was a time when six movies was a lot of movies to have. Um, now that we've reached the stage where there are like 31 MCU movies. But when there were six yeah. Star Trek movies. like where you're, you're, you're watching like 30 movies per day four times. <laughs> yeah, at four times speed, just, just digesting it into my eyeball. On all the different screens, like the <laughs> architect. <laughs> twitching my head you you yeah. joke you joke but i got an email this morning that i have to watch guy Ritchie's rue de gar by like 11 p.m tonight and it's like that's that's gonna be a challenge for me schedule wise we'll... don't tell me that i have no respect for your time <laughs> <laughs> after this i'm gonna be like so what are you doing now actually i'm kind of like cool you want to go with it <laughs> you, want, you, want, you want to go get a bite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, okay, so, but it was a simpler time, and I yeah. remember being like, how do I pick which Star Trek movie to watch? By the way, um, Rue de Gar. Rue de Gar, I think it is, yeah. Rue de Gar. Okay, is that a play on a street called Rue de Gar? No, it's, it's a Second World War movie about the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, I believe, starring, like, Hugh Grant. So it's a c- sequel to Gentleman. <laughs> the, the, the gentleman the ge- pretty much like it, it does feel a little bit like a guy Ritchie it's a prequel a prequel yeah it, it's yeah. how the gentleman came to be so he's doing a, like like a thing like um the um uh, uh what what's 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 that um other um there was maybe? the operation mince meat which i watched with um uh, our good friend kieran uh gillen recently and have completely forgotten um, <laughs> it's a movie that just like exists it's fascinating um it's a movie that is like i'm thinking of a uh, kingsman so oh, where, okay, where guy ritchie is doing his like parallel kingsman but it's like the gentleman <laughs> <laughs> that's fair actually he's yeah he's doing is a kingsman the secret the it's just kingsman is that what the the like third kingsman movie which is shockingly controversially surprisingly decent uh until you get to like the most unbelievable post-credit screener, which I'm not going to spoil. Okay. Have you heard about the post-credit scene in in Kingsman? No. No. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll make a note. We'll spoil it in the spoiler zone. Like just when we're ending the episode, I'll just spoil it. <laughs> okay. Um. So you've been warned, listeners. But yeah. So and I love that you're like I have no respect for our time. Let's talk about Guy Ritchie. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, as somebody whose job on this podcast is normally to do the tangents, I appreciate the tangents. Um, but yeah, I was like, so which Star Trek movie do I pick? Like, there are six of them. Right. And it's like, well, I like Spock. Spock's cool. He's the most iconic Star Trek character. And look, this is the only Star Trek movie with Spock in the title. And his face is big in the center of the poster. So this should be like the most accessible Star Trek movie for somebody who's never watched a piece of Star Trek with Kirk in it, never seen anything with William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly in it. Really? Yeah, yeah. This should be my starting point, right? Everyone likes Spock. It's got Spock in it. And I remember watching it and being kind of enchanted by it and kind of confused by it. Because I had obviously not seen The Wrath of Khan. I didn't know that Spock had died. Uh, I didn't know that this was like a fairly direct picking up literally minutes after the end of the last movie, relying heavily on characters from the last movie, like movie. Oh, very much. Yeah. 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 This, this is a two-parter. This is a three-parter. A bit. Yeah, yeah, This is yeah, like yeah, part exactly. two of a three-parter. 
Like, that's that's the thing about it. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about how we reacted to it, I guess, in a moment. So three questions just to get us started, then let's just run through the formalities. Like, Andrew, do you think Star Trek III The Search for Spock is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made? No, no. It's a, it's a serviceable enough um, sequel to this um, saga. The... Um... The well, Genesis we, well, Saga, I think they the call Genesis it. The Genesis Saga, is it really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Even though it has no bearing on the like the on third the movie, movie, yeah, on the yeah on the fourth movie, the set on the third movie of the trilogy. Yeah, but it, it carries on directly from the the the, the end of this the one. events, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it it it's um like for uh, they're old people, they shouldn't be going through all of this kind of. I but I I suppose the the movie is about how how actually no they 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 might be old, but they they can they can still kind of throw down with the best of them. Yeah, and and they're just as good, in fact, better. Yes, than, than, young, than the young people. What I just said actually was an example of of of, of ageism. Uh, oh. So I'm 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 sorry. Well, no, I mean, that is the thing that's fascinating about this movie is that, like, part of, like, Wrath of Khan comes out and it blows everybody's socks off. And everyone's like, I didn't know Star Trek could do that. And part of what it does that we didn't know Star Trek could do is tell this really sincere, really thoughtful, really, like, moving story about what it is to get old and to realize that your best days are maybe behind you and you've made mistakes in your life and you can maybe fix them but they all come at a cost and everything that you've ever done will come back around and you will have to face consequences at some point for being a reckless feckless youth and i think what i find really interesting about the search for spock which is a sequel to that is like "Mm, but what if you didn't what if like being old rocked what if you were just a cool dude who did cool stuff and you never had to face any consequences for it whatsoever? And I find that, like, on a like narrative level, it feels like it's cheating. Uh, it feels like it's an absurd thing to follow, like, the Wrath of Khan with. But, like, part of me is also, like, it kind of works. And we'll talk maybe in the spoilers about why I think it kind of works for me beyond Darren was 10 when he saw it and it kind of imprinted on him like a baby, pa- like a baby panda. And he's got like no defenses against this movie, but I just find it interesting that this is Why kind a baby of... panda. Fair, fair. What's that? <laughs> fair. The, the you know the most famous thing about pandas is that they imprint uh, like a baby. <laughs> um, um, well, you know that yeah, pandas can't tell their cubs. Pandas cannot. That was a bad example for me to choose because pandas cannot identify their pups. Um, so like in captivity, pandas will typically give birth to twins, and they will pick one, and the other one will just die. So for conservation no, the other purposes... one is is part of panda diplomacy. So you get sent away with another um, spare panda um, to go to like Edinburgh Zoo or something like that. It was the the I, I was listening to people talk about this. But uh, panda diplomacy is where like China yeah. would send pandas to because they're to, cute. Yeah, but they also cost the the recipient country a lot of money. Yeah, and save the Chinese <laughs> quite a lot of money. Um, that may be why panda was a perfect example of this because I recognize that this is like you know maybe conceptually not a great movie in that it maybe has a cost is maybe not viable it maybe has some serious thematic holes in it but it's adorable they're not viable yeah it's not, <laughs> it's maybe they not a viable movie refuse but... <laughs> to to get it on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like it's so adorable darren just has no defense against it um but yeah like the thing about the, the panda twins that i love is also that like 
ignoring that kind of diplomacy <laughs> thing, uh, the zoos that do keep them. So like when they're born in Western zoos, when they do eventually mate or whatever, they when they abandon one of the cubs. They don't eventually mate. No, they never. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, but they do rotate the babies in and out. So like every night, the like somebody will creep into like the panda reserve and will like swap one baby out for the other to they, ensure that each gets half of the mother's attention. Put like a panda costume on a baby, <laughs> and get the pandas to look after it. What you say? <laughs> um, but yeah, so Star or is Trek three just other pandas. So yeah. Star Trek three: The Search for Spock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, for myself, no, this is not one of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies uh, ever made. I like this movie a lot and i think like there's the simon again there's the simon Pegg stuff about like odd and even numbered star trek movies and the idea that like odd numbered star trek movies are inherently bad and even numbered are inherently good i disagree uh, with that well you, you you like generations right yeah like, I, do, I like generations but so what, what, do you have exceptions to the to, to the that rule of simon Pegg? Yeah, I, I, I think I think it falls apart once you hit Nemesis. I think Nemesis is the movie that just breaks it, because that's 10. And that's arguably, if not the is worst. Is it better Star Trek. than Insurrection? Or worse? I think it's worse, but I think Insurrection is very bad. Yeah. Um, I think, like, Final Frontier is probably the worst of the first 10. Um, maybe. Um, although it's interesting. I think Insurrection and first, and uh, Nemesis are bad. But I do think so that... So, you, you, you would... Um... And do do we include the then if you go into Star Trek um and um Into Darkness and Beyond. Beyond. Like you have again, fans argue that that's what justifies it, because the fans seem fonder of two thousand and nine than into darkness and fonder of beyond than either into darkness or uh two thousand and nine. Which which so again that's 11, will be 12, eleven and, 13. 11 and oh, good 13. point actually. Yeah, so yeah. that's so that kind of reverses the dynamic there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there are again fans who try to like make this pattern make sense. Argue that Simon Galaxy Pegg Quest must have said that long before yes, he, was he was doing in, movie eleven. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I think he did remark that that was one of the ironies. The irony that I would say that and then be cast in Star Trek Eleven. <laughs> but like the most odd like, <laughs> like two ones prime number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indivisible. Uh, yeah, but I, I do. I think I don't like Generations as much as you do. I, I respect it, and I think it's better than its reputation. Um, I think if we talk about it, which we probably will, inevitably, um, I think it's a movie that is interesting, that's doing bold and ambitious things. I think it's also doing very silly things, and I think I can't decide which of those two things it's doing more. I don't, I, I, I don't think it has to. Oh, they, they, well, I, I suppose when we get to it, I'll probably realize that actually it's not as... <laughs> That's great. I'm pretty sure I own all of these movies, though. So, yeah. so it's surprising that I haven't revisited them. I guess. Um, but yeah, and I think like the search for Spock is probably my favorite of the of the odd numbered like original run, arguably up to up to Star Trek 2009. I think this is handily better than motion picture. It's handily better than the Final Frontier. I think it's better than Generations. Controversially, I certainly think it's better than Insurrection. Um, I think this is the one that is like the good odd numbered kind of star trek movie of the set um and 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 not as good as um star trek and beyond i think it's better than beyond it's certainly i think i do not care for i controversially to star trek fans i do not care for beyond i think beyond is everything that people criticize the abram star trek movies for being but with a thicker coat of nostalgia paint on it this is yond beyond um <laughs> The um the the James Bond audition yeah. for um 
Yeah. Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beyond. Be Bond. James Beyond. Anyway, um, but yes. So I do not think this movie belongs anywhere near a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made. No. Um, but I do think it's a pretty passable movie. It's a yeah. good time. Um, and it's highly enjoyable. And I think it's... We'll talk about the particulars of it as we get into the Explorer Zone. I think when you factor in the constraints under which it's working, it is miraculous that it comes together in the ways that it does. Um, I think it, it's it's a very interesting movie. It's certainly the lesser of the three movies that it stuck. It has I know, a. I know they tried to fix the ship up a bit more and to get like the, <laughs> <laughs> the all the engineering done on it, but it just wasn't enough time. Yeah, I mean, it, they didn't have the eight days to get it done between filming, <laughs> no, unfortunately. Exactly. And Scotty, unfortunately, the production designer got reassigned to work on I don't know Return of the Jedi, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the new kids, kids these days, uh, the next. I generation. was the other way around, though, wasn't it? With uh, industrial light and magic kind of coming in and working on this movie, um, so you have that kind of um, uh, Lucas um, personnel coming in yeah. for the 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 the. I I I guess I like we'll we'll talk about it later. But the one one of one of the most iconic kind of. Um, uh, objects i guess in star trek yes um is gets is, a big showcase gets a, yeah g- gets explodes onto the this screen is the introduction yeah oh in, oh okay oh yes 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 sorry i thought you were talking about something else but yes okay we'll we'll get to that in spore zone is this on your own personal 250 favorite movies andrew and how do you um, rank it in the star trek franchise i like it a lot i don't know if like i own these movies so i think we've spoken about this before about the concept of like fear of loss <laughs> so <laughs> if you're being limited to only having 250 but if you can have like all of the movies that you own and the separate list which might contain those <laughs> but is 250 movies long and those are the good ones and not bad movie island. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, dep- it depends what you're asking. <laughs> um, you you made tense. no reference to any of this, but um, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I, obviously I'm I'm fond of these movies, kind of from a, a, a sentimental point of view. It's something that I enjoyed, kind of, with my brother, um, and also it it's. It's a. It, I I I connect with this, um. Even even though I I, I haven't kept up with it, I, I I don't have your stamina for kind of new Star Trek. Well, I mean, we we talked about this. We talked about like this the the undiscovered country. It's like it's good that it's other people's Star Trek now. It doesn't have to be ours yeah, anymore. There's you know? reference made in this and in a lot of Star Trek movies that um if if you're kind of all like having a hissy fit about new Star Trek. You're wrong, and 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 it's good that 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 kind of message is kind of handed down, and I hope it still gets kind of hand, handed down. But it's it's mentioned in this movie when uh, Kirk says to Scotty, he says, "Young minds, fresh ideas, be tolerant." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's that's like when Scotty is complaining about the Excelsiors and the great yeah, experiment. Newfangled, yeah. Yeah, the newfangled, sleek, curvy enterprise <laughs> that they built basically for the space age. Now, to be fair, how the movie treats the Excelsior we may get to discuss in the spoiler zone. But I do think there is there is something there. And I think yeah. But that's the push and pull. Yeah. It's um I I I, I think it would be boring if it if it were just saying um one thing or the other. Yeah. Well, if it were didactic. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of yeah, for myself, I mean, maybe like again, this is my first Star Trek movie. I have that emotional investment true, in it, yeah. where I don't, I can't, don't know that I can detach it from it. This is a but movie. Yeah, that's... it's probably like you don't have to kind of justify as much why something would be in your your own top two fifty. Yeah. It's just kind of like personal to you, and it's like whether or not you're kind of like, it's not like an endorsement of it. It's more like. This means something it to me. Say something about yourself. Yeah. 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 Like that's it. It's it's like this is a movie that is kind of imprinted on my head. I had not watched this for years. Uh since you know, when we stuck this on. I'd watched the Wrath of Khan fairly regularly because obviously I cover Star Trek stuff at the site and stuff, and we do the anniversary of like Wrath of Khan came up, I'd rewatch that. And obviously we'd rewatched like the Undiscovered Country for the passing I'm surprised of Bummer. you don't watch all of them every time you have to watch one of them. That but is a very Darren move. It, it, it is, but it's also like I, I feel like I know them so well is the thing. Like I feel like right. I've I've yeah. watched them so much that I immediately know the context of them, if that makes sense. The you only don't one... have to remind yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I don't have to put them in context. Like a lot of you not only have seen the movies, but know every kind of like behind the scenes. <laughs> kind of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing is that like I can come in and it's like it's like stepping in with old friends. That's the the goofy thing about like that's the the really nerdy the Futurama episode about Star Trek, which is one of the great pieces of art about Star Trek, where like Fry very earnestly you know it, it's a very affectionate episode they reunite most of the cast with the exception of Doohan who was dead at the time um and obviously I think DeForest Kelly who had also passed but they have the moment where like he's like you know you know it, it was it's 80 66 episodes maybe 20 good ones but the bit where he, <laughs> he talks about how you know Star Trek at a time when I didn't have friends maybe made me feel like I did which is like this weirdly exposed kind of nerdy thing yeah. that for like again we we talked about it I mean you joke that I repress how difficult my teenage years were or whatever but it's like as a kid I moved around a lot I moved from Dublin to Ghana I moved from Ghana to Sligo I think um, we have that in common yeah kind of. although I did I never moved across kind of I, I moved from different communities to another. So I wasn't able to kind of, yeah. That ma- not having that consistency. Close, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, it feels like, you know, again, at the risk of being deeply personal or too personal on a podcast medium. Don't do that. Everyone um, will hate it. No, don't share. Never share. But it's the idea that, yeah, these were the constants. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> but like... These were the constants in my life. You know, these are the characters that I know and I love and I know backwards and forwards and stuff. And uh, yeah, like that, that's what this is for me. It's like, and we'll talk about it when we talk about like the film itself. But like, this is for me, the movie that like most exemplifies the original series cast. Like this is the one where the the next generation was arguably something an ensemble cast. Now you had like ranks and tiers within that where like, Picard, Data, and Worf. 
ended up being your big three, where there was like a one in two chance that your episode this week was going to be a Wharf episode, a Data episode, or a Picard episode. But like, generally speaking, once or twice a season, you get a Troy episode, you get a Crusher episode, you get a Geordie episode. Everybody got their focus in turn. And that was the way it was with all of the, you know, it was that way with Deep Space Nine, for example. It was less that way on Voyager, where Voyager would, like, once a year be like, we've got no idea what to do with this script, make it a Chakotay episode. Um, but it would mostly be, like, Seven, the Doctor, and Janeway would be the characters. But you'd still get some focus where, like, Belana Torres would always have to work through her anger issues. Like, Paris would always have to figure out, like, whether he was going to grow up and be a man. Tuvok would always go psychotic at least once a year for whatever reason. Um, where you didn't have like a progression. You don't notice that it's been less than seven years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't do the maths on that one. Um, but like, yeah. Well, I mean, like again, it's like every every Tuvok episode on Voyager is pretty much Tuvok gets zapped with something that removes his logic center, so Tim Russ gets to feed on the scenery, on the on the you know on the surrounding Tuvix. props and stuff. Tuv- <laughs> well, that somehow is a Tuvok episode that doesn't give the actor playing Tuvok anything to do, which is quite remarkable um, as an act of maliciousness from the writing staff. So yeah, you do you have these two characters, and then I guess you get a third actor to yeah. just come in. <laughs> to do this thing about both characters yeah which you have to imagine when you're like neelix and and when you're tim ross and ethan phillips are like we feel like we haven't been well served on this show they're like (laughs) don't worry do we have an episode that's gonna give you something to do um but yeah like i mean but all those shows even say enterprise for example would rotate through and you'd occasionally get a you you get like once every four years you get a merryweather episode once every two years you get like a sato episode or whatever but on the original Star Trek, it was always Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Those were your big three. And you could argue that, like, Bones was very much second tier to Kirk and Spock, where the only Bones episode is maybe for The World is Hollow and I've Touched the Sky. Or you could argue at a push, he has a key role in something like, say, um, The City on the Edge of Forever, where he gets the first act of that to himself. But I, I, I think the, the next generation movies, I think, do a better job of serving their characters. That 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 in in this movie, it does a lot for Kirk. It does a lot for Spock, and you 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 also get that in um, Wrath of Khan. But you think of something like say Generations or First Contact. I I think uh, Generations especially you 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 give a lot to. Well, to Data Wharf and and Picard all get big moments in that. Like, yeah, Jordy LaForge as well. Oh, he gets um, a key yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's it. It feels more kind of like that 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 it's giving a lot of them kind of interesting stuff to do, um, and that 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 in 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 these original uh, series um, movies, it it you know it it. it it feels a lot of the time, and maybe that's they're happy enough with that. Like I, I know with Spock of um, we know that the movie is is well. I I suppose it would spoil it to kind of say, but maybe maybe that he 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 doesn't um he doesn't play a major role in front of the n- camera. No, and that he was um seemingly quite happy about that. Yeah, which makes me wonder, kind of like. 
are people getting upset on Nichelle Nichols's behalf? And maybe she was quite pleased to be like, I'll see you at the rendezvous. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, that was, yeah. a, that was a note that they got from Paramount. Paramount, like, again, this is the thing with Star Trek where, like, Roddenberry positions himself as this champion of diversity. Right. Like, the famously diverse cast of the original Star Trek show didn't come from Roddenberry. You look at, like, The Cage, which is the first one that he made. That cast is entirely white. Um, yeah. The reason why the uh, second pilot, so where no man has gone before, has characters like Sulu, for example, is because NBC wrote a memo. To a like, lesser extent, Chekhov. I know that that, that obviously he he isn't white, a, yeah. a a a, a Russian, um, but the fact that he's playing a Russian, yeah. I guess, but yeah. it su- 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 suggests something very kind of inclusive about this future, yeah. if not about casting. <laughs> yes, yeah. but I, but I mean, and again, but the thing is like. I would argue, and this is a conversation maybe to have when we get to Generations or in particular, say, First Contact, when you get to the feature film franchise of the next generation, I think it becomes more concentrated on Picard and Data. I think, like, they are the driving forces. They In each of those movies, they're like, we need a Picard arc, we need a Data arc. Which, Riker maybe gets an arc, Worf yeah, maybe gets a scene. I, yeah, I think, I think like, um, I... I I think Counselor Troy gets a lot in Nemesis, um, Nemesis but it's maybe not. Well, I don't know. You could, you yeah, could, I mean, you could, you you could argue about that. But it is, it is to an extent an empowering arc. You could argue, um, rather rather than kind of just something that is um, uh, motivating the the, the, the the male characters or the plot of it. But my. Um, yeah, but I, I would argue more that like you go to the original Star Trek and you watch it. And, and I, but sorry, to, no. just to say, I, I, I think it's a good choice to focus on um, Picard and Data. Well, they're the beloved characters. They're the breakout characters. Everyone recognizes Picard and Data from, and they have the strongest character arcs, and they arguably are the strongest actors. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of meat in their um, relationship. Kind of, yeah, and in their 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 own personal journeys. Yeah. I feel a lot for for them. Well, I mean, like Stu again, not to derail this, but more Stuart... more than um, you would feel for for for, oh, for, for Riker. Or... Yeah. Oh. There isn't the same kind of um, uh, uh, pathos there. Yeah, that this is a conversation for like if we do the next. Oh, I guess we're gonna do the next. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, like I th- think that like the thing with Riker is that Riker Riker is the secret weapon of like the next generation cast, where like Frakes is. Sorry, Jonathan Frakes. Maybe not the strongest actor in the world, but he has this incredible charisma and charm. Like, he just seems like Frakes is a lovely guy to hang out with. Yeah. And so Frakes, on The Next Generation, every once in a while, the production team remember that Frakes is there and they can give him... It's not bad. I I suppose maybe it just suffers like a little bit by comparison. Yeah. Because you have kind of next level sort of... Well, Stuart um, is arguably the greatest actor the franchise has ever had like yeah. and it's like anybody next to Stewart is going to yeah. look but like frakes is like so best of both worlds i think is... nimoy um yeah. can kind of um hold his own yeah. he has he has that sort of like gravitas i think that like surpasses what Stewart uh, can uh, can provide but that Stewart um has other kind of uh, strings to his bow i yeah. guess I think Stewart is a has a greater range, but like yeah. Nimoy, like N- Nimoy arguably invented one of the greatest characters in pop culture 
almost entirely from whole cloth. Like the stuff that comes from Spock in the episodes is largely driven by Nimoy. Yeah, and like, that that and some of it even came from his his Jewish, his background. Jewish background. Yeah, that like they, the solution stuff like that. Yeah, the, the infamous like live long and prosper salute. Like and again, but my my point is more that like. Sorry, we, we need to inception back up through this. <laughs> what I was saying about Jonathan Frakes is that like every like the best of both worlds, which is arguably like the best next generation episode, that's a Riker episode. The arc of that episode is not about Picard. Picard is kidnapped by the Borg and changed. And that becomes a motivating arc for Stuart in later episodes, like the next episode Family, I Borg, Star Trek vs. Contact, all that sort of stuff. But in the best of both worlds, the heart of that episode is Riker. Like, Riker's where the emotional weight is. He's the one who's dealing with the loss of Picard and who gets this wonderful showcase of, like, am I ready to sit in the big chair and am I terrified by that? And that episode rules because it's, like, Frakes is just used really, really well in it. Um, And I think that then we're now going to Inception level back to the original series cast. When we talk about the original Star Trek, like... You can point to episodes where characters do things. So, like, Sulu, like, does fencing shirtless in The Naked Now. Or Scotty gets controlled by Jack the Ripper in, is it, uh, what's it, is it, no, it's not Red Time, I can't remember what it's, oh, called Red Rum. It's not called Red Rum. But it's the one where he basically gets controlled by the dispossessed spirit of Jack the Ripper. Um, or he has a girlfriend in The Lights of Zatar, for example. That sort of stuff. But like they're kind of minor. That's it. Yeah. They're they're no. There's it's hard to point to a Scotty episode, or it's hard to point to an Uhura episode. Like Chekhov. the yeah, a Chekhov episode. Chekhov's gun. Um, <laughs> but like, and you can point to moments, and they get shtick. Like again, there's like you watch a mock time, which is a great Spock episode. There's a wonderful recurring bit where Chekhov and Sulu bicker about like setting course to and from Vulcan, where it's like you know, okay, we're gonna set course back towards the big Federation meeting. It's like, eh, better prepare a course for Vulcan. But like. They aren't Chekhov episodes. They aren't Sulu episodes. Because that's not how television worked back then. And I think this is the point at which... You need very strong actors in order to do that. Yeah. Like, but... they, that, that, that there's, there's very few shows can do that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a problem with the later Star Trek shows. I think Next Generation gets very lucky where that ca- most of that cast can carry an episode by themselves easily. I think there are maybe one or two who are a little weaker and like Will Wheaton is a teenager. So I don't blame him for that. And also the script writing for, for Wesley was not great. Um, but like Deep Space Nine is phenomenal where that just has this incredible ensemble of actors. Yeah. Where it's like, what if we give like the doctors. You can give t- yeah. like any yeah. that show. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And he'll just break your heart. It's like, what if, what if we give the barman's brother's son a focal episode about like the trauma of losing his leg where he moves into a holodeck with a 1950s crooner played by country legend James Darren. And it's like, somehow this movie breaks my heart. What if we build an entire episode around the shapeshifter investigating who blew up the tailor shop operated by the Cardassian best friend of our doctor? It's like, yeah, somehow this is going to be a really compelling character drama. Um, And like, I think the problem with Voyager is that you reach the point where that cast is, with all due respect to them, not great. And the writers, like, the Deep Space Nine writers spend years trying to figure out, like, okay, Siddick Al-Fadil or Alexander Siddick. Um, and Terry Farrell, they aren't clicking. We can't make them work. Like, the the Dax and Bashir episodes in the first three years of Deep Space Nine are atrocious. 
Things like Bashir gets taken over by an alien that talks in a deep voice. Or Bashir falls in love with a woman in a wheelchair and how do we deal with that? Or Bashir has a dream where he gets really, really old. Or Dax falls in love with a man on planet Brigadoon. Or all that sort of nonsense. Dax has, like, a weird thing where she has to do an initiation training uh, with somebody who, like, insists that she not party as much. Um, but the writers keep trying and they eventually figure out, like, where these characters work and what their strengths are as actors and how they can tailor scripts towards them. But with, like, Voyager and Enterprise, it's like, Garrett Wang cannot do, cannot carry what the early scripts need him to carry, so they just stop writing for him. Robert Beltran struggles a bit when they hand him, like, these scripts about, like, Native American stereotypes, because of course he does, because they're terrible scripts, but they just stop writing for him. Uh, they can't figure out what to write for Tuvok, so Tim Russ just stands in the background and says, Shields up, Captain, for about seven years of the show. Um, and again on Enterprise, where it's like, you know, we they, they figure out that Connor Trenier has this natural charisma as Trip, so all of a sudden it becomes the Trip show, but they can't figure out what to do for, like, Linda Park. And so those actors just kind of fade into the background and they stop writing scripts for them. And I think that, yeah, I think to bring it back to The Search for Spock, the movie that we were ostensibly talking about today, <laughs> I think this is the point at which, and I think it's largely down to Nimoy, because Nimoy is an extraordinarily generous actor and director. Uh, in contrast to a director who, if we continue to talk about the Star Trek movies, we will talk about very soon. But he, very famously, when they were doing the animated series, when they're bringing back the animated series, they were like, look, the budget that we have, we only want to bring back Kirk and Spock. We only want to bring back William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Those are the two voices people recognize. Recognize? Uh, recognize. And Nimoy was like, I'm not coming back unless you also bring recognize back... Recognize Rec is where you recognize as Leonard noise. Nimoy. Yeah. Recognize. <laughs> recognize. Um, but, like, Nimoy says, I'm not coming back unless you also hire George Takei, James Doohan, and Nichelle Nichols um, and bring back Walter Koenig to write a script because you can't budget in Chekhov. He was, unfortunately, last in first out his Chekhov on this one. Um, but they say, okay, that's fine. So, like, they remember Nimoy standing up for them in that case. Um, Nimoy was apparently the only actor who stood up for them in that case um, of the two that the production team wanted to bring back. And they've talked about how... When he was directing this, he was always very generous about giving coverage to them and giving them their moments. And this this movie is structured so that every member of the original cast gets a moment. Yeah, yeah. And but I think it, it's the that first is time. Fair, but it, it's not. They don't have an arc. No, no, they don't have yeah. an arc. Not yet. But it's it's the first time that it really feels like an ensemble as opposed to Kirk and Spock and the other guys. Mm. If if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They're, they they have they have their moments, but they're not um kind of significant yes well they're not significant in terms of arc yes yeah um but they they do feel like like i think nichelle nichols is better here than she has ever been at any point before in the franchise not because she was a bad actor but because she's given stuff to do like the one scene that nichols gets in this movie is phenomenal and it's that's the scene that i think of when i think of her like and again to go back to how next to a very uh, bad actor Yes, yeah, that that does help, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's, it's sorry. I like I I feel like you have you you have kind of a few kind of bad minor actors, and it's not their fault that yeah. the, that they're just kind of like, um, um, and it does help. 
the actors <laughs> around them, maybe, yeah. It, it does like, help that, like, you have a, actors who are capable around them. Like, by, <laughs> by comparison, it looks like a huge step up. Um, but, like, that, that's that's the thing where, like, on the original Star Trek, like, the biggest thing that happens to Aurora is in the change thing, she gets her entire memory wiped. Every experience she has ever had, her brain is just reset to blank. And at the end of the episode, the doctor's like, yeah, so she's fit to return to duty. It's like, does she remember anything? No. <laughs> she's basically competent. And it never comes up again. And that is, like, the most that the show ever Two did languages. with languages. <laughs> Yeah, you, you you would imagine, but like, no, she's literally, she's learning those languages on computers. Throughout the episode, they check in in sickbay, and it's like, no, she's learning, she's relearning, she's going through all the education process again. She's just had her content, her identity completely wiped, and it's like, just another day at the office here, really, on the USS Enterprise. Um, like, again, it, it's fascinating. Um, but yeah, okay, and then final question, I guess. If listeners have not watched Star Trek Through the Search for Spock, would you recommend that they pause the podcast? And stream it to a local device. Yeah, um, I think it's worth watching if you're into your Star Trek, and maybe maybe you're uh, watching recent shows and you're not familiar with the kind of canon of it. It's something worth going back to because there are like lots of um, uh, enjoyable moments and. Um, I think this is this deserves to kind of like sit with the um with some of the better Star Trek movies. I wouldn't recommend it skipping. Oh, from yeah, from two to from two to four directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, like, I, I think like four is quite good. Two is quite good. And if you're gonna watch both of those, you kind of have to watch this. Um, <laughs> and this or, doesn't feel like an obligation. Or ought to watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's less good, but it doesn't feel like an obligation is probably the best way yeah, to phrase it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's something interesting there, like in terms of the idea of this as a movie that like, it's it's weirdly important to the canon of Star Trek, like this movie, this Star Trek 3, even though it's like situated between these two much stronger, much more populous kind of movies, where this feels like a movie that is chock-a-block full of stuff that the franchise just keeps coming back to, weirdly enough, without necessarily being as overt as we talked about, like, The Wrath of Khan, and how every Star Trek show starts doing The Wrath of Khan plot over and over again. It isn't like they come back and do the Search for Spock plot, but it's like, this is a movie that arguably defines what the Klingons are. It gives you one of the most iconic, two of the two or three of the most iconic ship designs in the history of the franchise. Uh, it gives you, I would argue, that that moment where the original cast actually become a cast, as opposed to like the guys who hang out with Kirk and Spock. Um, like it is like a formative moment for Star Trek that is often overlooked because it's surrounded by two more Titanic like accomplishments for the franchise. This is kind of like a weirdly business as usual kind of thing, but it's like business as usual is no longer just business as usual. It's like something has changed, if that makes sense. Something has changed in the franchise, and this is the consequence of it. And yeah, for myself, I would absolutely recommend it. I had a really good time watching it. I think it's nice to talk about movies that are just like good in this in this podcast. I think it's nice to talk about movies that don't have the weight of this is the most important movie ever made. Uh, like next week, we're talking about Apocalypse Now. In a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about The Passion of Joan of Arc. Um, it's like feels good to just talk about a movie that is enjoyable you know that it's like has no weight around it has no mythic weight of cinema to explain or account for yeah yeah so i would wholeheartedly recommend it with that in mind we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone spoiler zone so andrew 
What is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock about for you? Um, it's about, I guess, l- legacy and the idea of, of 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 kind of more mortality and of um legacy. So it it's it's about kind of like if somebody died, all of what they had ever thought, all of what they had ever been would be lost to the world and that that's something we can't kind of uh let happen because it's it, it's it's just a, a a um a a it's a very large kind of entropy i guess what is a loss and it's, yeah. it's, it's like something is gone again like and you have the the metaphor of like the genesis planet kind of collapsing and all this sort of stuff like i i this is the thing that I find really interesting about the movie is that like it is such a reversal. It's in such conversation with the Wrath of Khan. And again, I know I know when I mention this, this is gonna possibly open a can of worms, but it's like thing that I love about sequels is that like good sequels are often not just yes and the the previous film. It's not like just more of the stuff that you liked about the first one. Those sequels are grand. Sequels that I love are ones that are like, but yes if. Where it's like, the original film had this idea, this very big, very complex idea. And the sequel is like a response to that. So it's like, Aliens is, sorry, the original Alien is this story about like how Ripley arguably like shorns herself of womanhood. And so survives this monstrous sexual evil or kind of like assault thing that is manifesting itself through the ship. And then Aliens is kind of like, but what if Ripley was able to re-embrace traditional modes of femininity as well and become a mother? And that's very thorny and very complicated. And I, you know, we talked about that when we talked about the movies. But it's like, that's an interesting angle to kind of put on it, a spin to yeah. put on it. Like, the original Star Wars. It, is, it brings sophistication to that, it. That's it, yeah. The original Star Wars is like, what if you were like the coolest orphan in the universe? And, and it, 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 it sticks it to people who are like, no, that's not that person they would never do that it's kind of like well what if they did yeah. <laughs> what, what if human yeah. beings were multifaceted individuals who had complex yeah, relationships yeah. with one another in themselves well, you're very attached to this particular idea <laughs> yeah. of, 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 of who this person yeah. is yeah like that that's a, and again like star wars where like it's like luke skywalker is the coolest orphan in the universe and what if he got to fight evil and then like the empire strikes back is like but yeah but what if his dad was adolf hitler how would he reckon with that and it's like it's such an interesting thing to do and, like, here you have, you know, and again, this is a very bolderized, like, summary of, like, the Wrath of Khan. But the Wrath of Khan is, like, yeah, you're you're old, you made mistakes, and people are going to pay for those. And if you get away from it, there are going to be cons- consequences and costs. And, like... And you, you, you kind of argue that this isn't a continuation of that theme and sort of overlook the death of his son. Yes. The, okay, yeah, let's, let's talk about this, because this is... I think why I like this more than I, more than that description makes it sound like I like this. Right. Where it is, I think, complicated. Where I'm not a big fan of movies that are like, you suffered this terrible thing, and then the sequel's immediately like, but you get the cool thing back. Because mm. it doesn't feel like you've accomplished. We talked about this when we talked about like Into Darkness when we compared it to The Wrath of Khan, where The Wrath of Khan, you know, kills Spock, and that feels like it's an actual loss. Whereas Into Darkness kills Kirk, and he's alive within 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And it feels Which like... It's very weak. It is. It feels like it's a pulling, and it's not committing to the Please idea. Please wait until the next movie. Yeah. The, the, um, I think the other, th- the, 
I don't think the fans care about David. Yes. Um, is the thing. But I think they do care about the ship. Yes. Yes. And the ship gets uh, destroyed. Uh, destroyed. Like, that's the cost. And, like yeah. the, It's a trade. Like, it's... Kirk- I, I, I feel like when, when Sarek says, is like, but you've lost your ship <laughs> and your son. <laughs> like, no, where, where the most important thing to Sarek is his son. Yeah. Like, in spite of him being, like, um, the, like... Um, the Vulcan ambassador and... Of, of 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 being this um cold distant planet <laughs> yeah, but of a father yeah <laughs> <laughs> he he actually cares a great deal but that 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 one of one of one of the big kind of sacrifices for Kirk here is the ship well but that that's it like that's the the thing where getting Spock back actually costs something like yeah. that that's a large part of why I think this movie works at all. Yeah. Like, is that like, it's not like Kirk triumphantly gets Spock back and everything's perfect. It's like, no, he gets Spock back, but he pays a cost. And there is the death of David, which is a cost, as you said, the fans do not care about. The audience does not care about. No, but um, I think crucially the character of Kirk, I don't think we see it a, a, enough here, maybe, yeah. but we definitely get it in like Star Trek six. Yeah. Um, the, the, the scars that that has left. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and, and again, you could argue that that is a thematic point of the movie where like in The Wrath of Khan, like Spock sacrifices himself to save a ship. Yes, full of Kirk and his old friends, but also full of cadets. Like Spock sacrifices himself as an old man to protect both his friend Kirk and Kirk's son, but also a ship full of cadets that are under Spock's care. And because Spock was originally commanding the ship. Um, that was the thing. Uh, yeah. And the, need, the needs of the, many. of the many. And the thing that's interesting here is you have that reversed where if the Wrath of Khan is about like an old man sacrificing himself to save those kids as well as, you know, his friend and stuff. You have the idea here that what you do is you sacrifice the kids to save the parents where David dies so that Spock can be reborn. Genesis is destroyed so that everything can be restored and go back kind of thing. There is a sense of Again, that push and pull where it's like, it's the almost the antithesis of the Wrath of Khan, where the Wrath of Khan is about like old people making bad decisions that have consequences for kids, like that and that moment of like Khan cradling protecting Wacky. young people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it, it, the you you uh, yeah, uh, the movie starts with with Kirk talking about feeling like um, the ship is a house with all its children gone. Yeah. I love that the kids have just disappeared between the movie. Like again, it's such a clear statement of purpose. Did. Yeah, reassigned. <laughs> Where were they? Yeah, just... like the that there's there's never any ship like within range. Yeah, to help. but there was an there was a ship in range that picked them up and went in another direction, not back to Earth. Crucially, yeah. like that's because the, the Enterprise is limping back to Earth, and these are all cadets. Yeah, so it's like let's take them to the Gamma yeah, like, <laughs> um, they've just been through a horribly traumatic experience during what was supposed to be a routine training exercise. You know what we, they need? Are we to believe that maybe a faster ship, <laughs> where, um, <laughs> where where Starfleet was the, like the Reliant has been destroyed, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So then, and and and, I mean, yeah. Do we do we anyway? Sorry, we won't we won't pick holes Nip, in nipping, it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, suffice it to say. 
that um I do they, like I do like your idea though that it would Starf- take a while to get back because of the damage that is yeah. being done to well, the ship Kirk and, is- and they're like well we we um these, these yeah let's just presume that a very very fast ship has <laughs> yeah. um, nipped in and nipped out like an Starfleet was like we class, cannot right? afford to leave these kids in Kirk's care I know yeah. he says he's coming back to earth but we do not want him we don't want a space law yeah it's a liability like their parents are already worried about this so we'll have Kirk limp back at impulse or whatever because Scotty's like I'll have it repaired in two days, you know? Scotty is still repairing, like, the engines and things like that. But I, I think it works thematically. Because it's yeah. like... Because I think it is about, like, we're jettisoning... Jettisoning the idea of these younger characters, really. Um, and, like, David dying is a prime part of that. To bring back the olds. Uh, the old favourites. And I, I... You know, normally I would be sceptical of that. And I guess I kind of am sceptical of that. But it feels... It feels earned here, and I guess it's maybe because of that nostalgic attachment I have where I watched as a kid, where it's like, sure, Kirk can come back. Sure, Kirk can be cool again. Because that's, like, that's the thing about all those showcasey moments. The entire point of those showcasey moments are, look at how cool all these old folks are. Where, like, Scotty's thing where Styles is like, I'm looking forward to beating the Enterprise's old speed records. And Scotty's like, up your shaft. Uh, or the <laughs> moment where, like, you have Mr. Adventure, you know, again... Maybe not a great performance, but he's like, look, it's cool for you to say that because your best days are behind you. Some of us want some action or excitement or fantasy. Um, And so Ahura then gets to turn the phaser on him and get him eating out of the palm of her hand uh, in an interesting kind of quote or turn of phrase. Even Sulu, who's like picked on at the security thing, is like, hey, don't get out of line, tiny. (laughs) And he still gets to do the cool thing where he throws the The guy over. The judo throw, yeah. Yeah. Like judo throw, judo throw. Uh, he does not unfortunately declare judo throw as he is doing it. <laughs> judo chop. <laughs> chop. <laughs> but like the entire point, all these big action scenes that these characters get are largely like at the expense of younger characters, and it's like I wish I wish we knew the words. I like all most of those judo moves have kind of cool. Oh, words that like kesegatame. Um, I'm, I'm I'm not sure what it is though. Um, but yeah, like that, that's the thing I actually, and again, I think that's like what the movie is kind of about. It's like Paramount have realized that this franchise is viable. So all of a sudden then we need to backpedal on this movie we made about how this franchise isn't viable and this is the last hurrah. But I, I, I think that the cost, like the balance works and the destruction of the enterprise, like, which is a tremendous sequence. Like this is a movie that arguably is more a section of sequences than it is an actual movie. Like, the stealing of the Enterprise is one of my favorite sequences in Star Trek. When we were watching the Blu-ray disc, it started skipping, and you joked that it was because I had been, I'd worn down the tape from watching it too much. <laughs> um, but, like, the stealing of the Enterprise is one of the great moments in the franchise. Like, the, the whole, like, and again, Nimoy's talked about this when they were editing it. Like, one of the great discoveries was they initially had that stuff peppered through the first half hour. And they were cut into crudge and stuff and Genesis and all this sort of stuff. And they just discovered the key was to give us a concentrated 10 minutes of like the crew just doing their business and like having them steal the Enterprise escape from space dock and just warp out of there. And it it is gangbusters. Like it's it's such a triumphant moment. And like after the Wrath of Khan, where like everything in the Wrath of Khan is so so earned and so so pariahic. Every victory that Kirk accomplishes in that movie comes at such a steep and stark cost. Whether mm. it's Scotty pulling up to the bridge with a dead cadet's body, uh, who is or isn't his nephew, depending on which version of the movie you watched. Um, here, it's just like, no, Kirk, Kirk rocks. 
Like the, the, these these old guys rock, yeah. isn't it awesome? And and Scotty kind of emasculates the Excelsior by uh, by by removing its nuts. He literally takes its nuts off. Like yeah, yeah. a souvenirs from one surgeon to another. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, like I. And then you get the whole sequence where the Enterprise is destroyed, though, which is, is crucial and key. Cause... <laughs> it would be incredible if the Excelsior then explodes. And they just never talk about it again. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk just chooses never to mention it again. Um, um, but yeah, like, th- th- again, the destruction of the Enterprise was obviously a huge point of contention. <laughs> that... that... That was the original scene, and then they, when when they say like um, whatever fleet we will join, <laughs> it, it makes even more sense. Yeah, it makes yeah. Sense. <laughs> just I recommend you all for promotion in whatever fleet has no extradition treaty with Starfleet. Yeah. Um, but like, and and again, even like during that sequence, you have the moment where Styles with his little swagger stick. I love, by the way. Obligatory RoboCop reference, Miguel Ferreira. That's right. Yeah, appears on the Excelsior Bridge Crew. himself. Yeah. Um, but, like, I love that the, everybody on the Excelsior straps themselves in before yeah. they go to Transwarp. Which, which is, is incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, the bit where, like, again, where Styles says to Kirk, you do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. And it's the idea that even before, like, the Enterprise blows up, Kirk is giving up, like, the most important thing to him. Like, again, it's... It's a really sweet movie. Like, it's a sweet movie about how we'll far We'll bust you down the captain so, so fast. fast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not too bad. Okay. It'll make your head spin. <laughs> yeah. All Kirk wants is to to be busted down to captain yeah. so fast it'll make his head spin. What? No, to be fair, Styles' exact words aren't we'll bust you down to captain so... <laughs> punishing him with a... Threatening him with a good time. It's like, you do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Right. Like, that's yeah. his exact line. And, like, I love that because that's, like, that's all Kirk wants. Like, arguably, like, the whole, all the terrible stuff that happened in The Wrath of Khan happened at least in part because Kirk was like, you know what? I really like to go on this spin with this cadets. Yeah. Instead of letting Reliant, yeah, yeah. instead of, like, letting somebody deal with the Reliant problem who's equipped to deal with it, I'm going to take a bunch of cadets on an out-of-date ship and we're going to sort this problem I think he's almost costing people their lives in the motion picture as well. That's something, like, a true line that kind of comes from, from, from both of those movies is that he's actually not, like, able for this anymore. Yeah. That 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 there are, the things have kind of moved on without him. Yeah, and I and the search for Spock is like, wait a minute. But I I do like that. Like that's again, it's a very sweet movie about how far well, you go it, for your yeah. friend. Yeah, I mean it it it's it's Tom Cruise getting in an old F fourteen. Yes, yes, it's exactly that. But like I I kind of but I do like the idea that like. Kirk would still give that, even if, like, magically, let's pretend we don't know about the end of Star Trek 4 or Star Trek 5 or whatever. If Styles was right, and if he never got to sit in the captain's chair again, this would still be a worthy thing for him to do. He would still make that choice. He would still choose Spock over that. You have the moment, like, at the end where Sarek says, you know, your, your ship, your son. And he goes, if I hadn't have tried, the cost would have been my soul. And it's like, it's such a like sweet sentimental arguably like saccharine line but i'm like that really hits me no i i i i do and i i i think it works on a a profound level i never feel like these movies fail on the 
that kind of emotional test. Yeah. Um, where they're 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 not. It ne- it never feels like it's kind of like a cynical tearjerker. Yeah. It feels like they're speaking to something <laughs> in in like like deep in the human experience. But maybe that's because we are touched by it. But I, I I don't think it is because because we're capable of 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 approaching other Star Trek media and feeling nothing. Yes. Yeah, and even even other Star Trek media arguably starring these these actors as well and stuff like that. Not to jump too far ahead to Star Trek Five and stuff. And again, like the thing about Shatner is like Shatner, famously a very uh, insecure actor, is is how you know he would be fair to characterize him. Stories about like when he was doing the um, original series, he would count his lines and he would go into like Gene Roddenberry or Fred Freeberg or whoever and be like, "Spock has more lines than me this week. How are people going to know I'm the captain?" Um, that sort of stuff. It's interesting because, like, um, Spock doesn't need all those lines. Like, a lot of his kind of um, appeal is is kind of laconic. Reaction yeah. shots and, like, deadpan delivery of, like, one, you know, like, a single line but saying so much in it. Yeah, yeah, a, 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 exactly. That he can be very kind of, like, pity. Yeah. But, I mean, there are there are stories, for example, like Shatner, we talked about this, where Shatner would, like, hide Nimoy's bicycle in the rafters at the studio to prevent him from doing interviews. Like, Nimoy would be like, I have to be out to do interviews, and Shatner would, like, hide his bike so he would miss the interview. Hide his bike? Yeah, his bike, because he'd have to cycle. He'd cycle off the set and the lot. Bicycle. Really? Yeah. Um, Shatner, very famously not, not somebody who likes sharing the spotlight. And that is apparently a point, like, again, we will contrast when we get to is Star Trek. a push bike? Yeah. Yeah. When we will contrast when we get to like Star Trek Five, which is a movie directed by William Shatner about how <laughs> fixating on that <laughs> <laughs> that one detail, um, but like how when you get to Star Trek Five, which is a Star Trek movie directed by William Shatner about how all of Kirk's crew will eventually betray him, and the only uh, adversary worthy of Kirk is God. Um, how you contrast that with what Fair. Nimoy does here? <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's accurate too, <laughs> um, but like. Here you have like Nimoy's talk, like Nimoy, very generous man, very delicate uh, yeah. when he talks about this stuff. He's talked about how like when he was making the movie, when they were doing that sequence of the stealing of the Enterprise, uh, Shatner would be like, feel like, feel like, feel like, feel like Kirk should get the action beat when they punch, when they knock out the guard. I feel like that's a Kirk move. It's like, okay. And the, the sabotage of the Excelsior, I feel like, you know, that's, that's something Kirk should do as well. And. Pulling the phaser uh, on the guy in the transporter pad—that's that's that's that feels more like a Kirk than an Ahura thing, if we're being honest here. Um, and like, there are stories about how like towards the end of the film, there's the moment in Liberta Prey where like McCoy and Spock get a quiet moment together, where like McCoy talks to like Spock's body as it's comatose, and it's a really sweet moment between the two of them. And Shatner was like, I feel like Kirk should be in the scene when that happens. And like Nimoy has said, like the way that he got around that was he just shot it both ways. Like he just would shoot these scenes both ways and then would just <laughs> edit them. So Shatner got to feel like he was doing it. Yeah. Whereas I feel like if that had been, if that um, had been Shatner, he would feel like it, 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 he, he would be losing yeah. if he kind of like gives in. Whereas I, I, I think Nimoy wins by not playing. Yeah. Um, and again, like we, we, we should note there as well, like Harv Bennett points out, like if you want to understand like the making of the search for Spock, the second to last shot of the movie is essential, which is the moment where Spock comes back. And he has that wonderful moment with Kirk where he says, Jim, your name is Jim. And the, the crew kind of embrace him. You have and, an 
Yeah. You are and have always been, been my, friend. my friend. But that moment where the crew kind of run to Spock and embrace him, Bennett says, like, you can tell, like, Shatner, Shatner doesn't move towards the crew. Like, Spock is there in the center of the shot. The crew are gathered around him, smiling and laughing. And Kirk stands apart from them all. And as Bennett says, he's standing in his own light. Um, he's he's found the light that he looks good in in the shot and has decided that's where he's going to be. And Bennett's like, look, I don't I don't judge him. He's a Shakespearean actor. He's worked on stage. There are reasons why actors are anxious about this sort of thing, particularly Shatner, who, as we talked about, like had a very rough 70s, had a period where he wasn't working consistently and was very anxious about like, again, things like gaining weight, going through divorce and all this sort of stuff. And so was anxious about losing his grounding. Um, but it is like notable that that closing shot is the entire cast gathered on one side and Shatner kind of like standing yeah. apart. Like as an a- actor, your star kind of um, is your well-being and your, your yeah. welfare. You know, yeah. that, that, that yes, it's your um, yes. Yes, it is kind of like conceited, um, but also. Yeah, that 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 is it, it's 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 your whole kind of um, uh, profession is yeah. to kind of main and your security. It. Yeah, yeah. Like again, you know, the cast weren't making the big books yet. This is a movie that feels, and again, I guess maybe this is something interesting to talk about. Where like, the Wrath of Khan, sorry, had a similar budget, but it worked. I think, I think first of all, Mayer is a much more cinematic director than Nimoy is. I think you even see that with, say, the lighting on the set on the bridge of the Enterprise, where, like, the opening shot of the search for Spock or the opening scene on the bridge, like, where the, the set is just lit brightly and it just looks like television, as opposed to, like, even during early scenes in The Wrath of Khan before the bridge is damaged, it's lit theatrically. It's lit kind of, like, in ways that kind of draw the eye. Here, everything is kind of overexposed and kind of white, and it looks very television-y. Uh, and I think Nimoy, and, N- and Nimoy will concede that he is not a feature director like Mayer was. But, like, the movie stretches itself. Despite having the same budget as The Wrath of Khan, it tries to do so much more. Where you have, like, you know, you have two planets that they visit. They visit Vulcan and they visit the Genesis planet. And those are all built, as you mentioned, on ILM sound stages. Uh, you know, in The Wrath of Khan, model-wise, you had to build, like, Regular 5, for example. You had to build the Reliant. That was largely it. Here... You're not only building like the Klingon Bird of Prey, one of the most iconic ship designs there. It's You're really also going to be uh, a Romulan. Yes, that that's why it's called of... a Bird of Prey. Yeah, and it accounts as well for the the, the kind of the wings and the cloaking device on it. Yeah. So it has it has these kind of like Romulan design um, kind of features on it, and it is it is it is the most kind of one of the most um, iconic kind of um star trek ships things yeah in 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 star trek well i mean like that's the design it pops up everywhere like when they do prequels in um you know star trek enterprise the thing on ships look arguably more like bird of praise than they look like the d7s D7 from the original show the, for example yeah. i love how they, nerdy we are katinga from um the motion uh, picture isn't it yeah yeah um, or even say, like, you know, when you go into the far future, you look at, say, Discovery and stuff, they're still, like, Bird of Praise are still, like, the design template there. Like, Picard, that it's still Klingon Bird of... Like, the Bird of Prey is arguably almost as iconic as the Enterprise. And, yeah, and they, they have the two different classes of them, but they both look the same. Yes, one it's is like just bigger. The Burrell and the, the, the other one, with the, whose name I can't think of. But yeah, that 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 they are the same yeah, thing, just... and and that they, they they yeah one 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 is bigger, 
but the the scale is never especially clear because they use the same model yeah. for yeah well the thing there is because the problem is that this establishes it as having a crew of 12 and if it's a crew of 12 you're like well that's not really a threat so it's like what if it looked exactly the same but had more people on it yeah um but like and again even things like say the excelsior model which is something that is used throughout the franchise history comes back in next generation deep space nine yeah voyager even the oberth class as well which i think is like you can see is kind of a kit bash of like the um the the miranda class from the previous film like all this stuff costs money things like there are more alien designs here as well obviously like i mean is, you know is this the first we get to see earth space doc or no no it pops up in in the yeah. first movie in the motion picture um but like yeah, things like say there are more aliens in there. Obviously, you have the Klingons; they're an existing design. But things like the big-eared alien, the Yoda that like, guy. yeah, the Yoda guy, <laughs> very much like the Star Trek franchise has like we've noticed that people like this Star Wars thing going on. Yeah, this Yoda speak, and yeah, um, and you have like again more sets, like even even things like the interior of like and the freighter speak backwards. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like. It, it's a movie that feels very ambitious, like despite having a much a, a budget that is comparable to it, which is fascinating. And I think it, it's kind of interesting because it means the movie doesn't look as good as The Wrath of Khan. It doesn't look quite as cinematic as The Wrath of Khan. And here's where Darren makes a bold observation. We argued like one of the big arguments about Star Trek and like it's not. I'm not the only one who makes it. I don't think this is controversial. Like Ronald D. Moore, one of the guys who has written Star Trek movies, makes this argument, is that Star Trek works better on television than it does on film. And I think what's interesting about The Search for Spock is that it weirdly feels kind of like a television episode as much as a film. It doesn't feel quite as cinematic as, say, the motion picture, which was this big 2001 Space Odyssey thing, or even, say, like The Wrath of Khan, which is kind of you know, the enemy below and all this sort of stuff, mm. submarine warfare. I'd say the, the um, journey home is, is maybe a bit more television-y as well. Yes. Well, yeah. Streets we, of San Francisco. We have not talked about that, but <laughs> we'll, yeah, TJ Hooker. Um, we'll, <laughs> we, we will talk about that. Yeah, but like that also is very TV-esque. And like, I would argue not to spoil if we talk no, about no. The, the, the Voyage Home, but I think that's a movie about like TV coming in. No matter how it. well this does. Yeah, no matter how well this episode does. Um, We're not going to talk about it later today. No, no. <laughs> Certainly. Oh, well, we haven't done that yet. So it's, <laughs> what, whatever that is. Um, but yes. Um, but I think that like, and again, the way that it's lit. So I can't talk about that. No, you can't. You can't <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> no, this, this, is the, this is the place filler. This is going out so we can do that. This is, this is one of those things. So where, we can do what? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, good point. That is a very fair point. But I think that like, the way in which this is done, where it's like you have the large ensemble cast, you have like the special appearance uh, by, is it what, Dame Judith Anderson, which feels like it's a TV guest star credit as opposed to like a movie. But that's Valkyris. Yes. She has that mini disc. <laughs> oh, no, no. Dame Judith Anderson is Talar. Okay, yes. yes. On, on the Vulcan home planet. Yes. Yeah. She only did that because her nephew likes Star Trek, which is one of those great credits. She'd retired from acting, but her nephew's like, come on, come on. <laughs> we all like Spock, right? Um, but like, things like, say, the recasting of, like, Savak going down from, like, Kirstie Alley. And I know yeah, Kirstie... and I, I thought Robin Curtis is decent. And it's funny that, like, she doesn't really have... Because you have Kirstie Alley and then you 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 also have uh, Kim Cattrall yeah. in, um, in Star Trek VI. Like, big actresses who did stuff. Yeah. Kind of um, afterwards. But Robin Kirsch is, um, I think, is better known as a 
as a real estate agent, I think. Okay. Um, had, had done other movies, but I, I, I thought she was quite good in this and that she didn't really have her, um, uh, like, the, the same career that yeah. those other um, ac- actors had. Yeah. Um, but like, or, I, or what did you think? Did you think she was good? I think she's solid. I think, again, that the movie isn't as interested in Savick this time around as the last one was, where, like, Savick is in, like, The Wrath of Khan. She's this kind of foil for Kirk and Spock. She's the young person who gets to be right. And here she get, plays the same role where she's a young person who gets to be right, but she's much more scoldy. And she, yeah, she she is the voice of kind of experience. Yeah, talking talking to younger people, I yeah, think talking to David, um, or like getting it on with them. Yes, in a very okay. We'll we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. Does that happen? <laughs> well, it's do you it, not know? It, do you not know? Would, there's a whole big would, fan debate. It would have to have happened, right? Yeah, well, that's... How, otherwise, like, how would that have been resolved? Yeah. Unless there is some other way around it that that we're kind of unaware of. No, like, the... the One of the big fan readings of, like, what happens to Savak in The Voyage Home, which is, like, Spock just leaves her behind on Vulcan, is that she's pregnant. Is that, like, Spock has this son running around. There's a whole big thing in the novels uh, spinning off from this. Okay. Where the idea is that Savak maybe got pregnant during that. And that's why she's left behind. Why she doesn't return to Starfleet. Rather than just like, well, here's the TOS cast that you love. And Robin Curtis wandering around San Francisco. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm sympathetic to that kind of reading. I th- they, is there any, are there any people saying like, no, they never bone. That doesn't happen. <laughs> no, 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 no. Everybody, no, everybody agrees, agrees that, they boned. The question yeah. is what happened as a result of said uh, boning? Um, yeah. Is that how babies are made? <laughs> Just stroking fingers suggestively. <laughs> um, playfully. Let me help you there. <laughs> yeah. um, now, this isn't working. It's something that happens later where I take your clothes off. <laughs> 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 Um, uh, give it time. <laughs> this was, we'll try the gentleness. The whole process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like you're watching that sequence where they slowly. are, su- where they are suggestively stroking each other's hands, and you're waiting for the MacGruber-esque kind of punchline to it, where somebody <laughs> starts doing something horribly inappropriate with their hands. Gruber. Um, <laughs> but like, it does feel very TV-esque. Like, is the thing about it. Like, where it does feel like it's... And again, even say... And we'll talk about this, because I think it's a great performance. Lloyd as Crudge. Where, like, obviously Lloyd yeah. goes on and he does, like, Back to the Future. He becomes a movie star. But at the time, he's best known for stuff like, say, Taxi on television as well. You know, obviously he'd done One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and stuff. But he is best known as a TV guy. Small kind of character actor. Yeah. I, I mean, I, he probably... You could say that he continues... To be a character actor, but a big um, character actor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, like, but the thing is, my argument is that, like, this feels like television. And particularly even the thing that it's not really a movie, it's not really self-contained. You can't really watch it by itself. It feels like an episode of television. I love the story of um, Lloyd, how seriously he took his um, Klingon. Yeah. Because he had made, (laughs) made a grammatical mistake. And then, kind of retrospective continuity. Yeah, Mark Rand. Yeah. yeah, that it that it changed Klingon grammar to kind of incorporate that. Well, I mean, that, that you could say, like leave out a, a preposition or, or yeah, yeah. 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 Like, well, that, that's the thing is that that was Marco Crond who came up with the Klingon language. And again, this is one of the things where this feels like a movie that is important to Star Trek as an evolution, where it's like suddenly the Klingon language is something that and actually... Vulcan language as well, yeah. Well, he did in the previous yeah. movie, he dubbed it over. But like here, this is the, the Klingon language you've heard in the motion picture, but that was just gibberish. 
Um, but yeah, don't they do they reverse engineer it as yeah, well? Yeah. yeah. So like, that all of that kind of makes now sense. is Klingon. Yeah. yeah. But like this is the one where they have a linguist devising a Klingon yeah. language, which is something that they now teach in college. And, and yeah, it's on Duolingo. Like the 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 process as well. His approach to it was kind of like um, there are different types of uh, grammar, and kind of like whenever I have to make a choice of what the grammar of Klingon is going to be, I'm going to go for the one that is least um, common, kind of common. Yeah. In in uh, terrestrial dialogue, or yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, on um for on for human languages on Earth, <laughs> um, the only place where people speak language, um, <laughs> as far as we know, uh, the, the yeah, but like like you know for 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 where um kind of a, a, a verb or a noun or a um, subject or an object go put that in in the least kind of like uh, a common arrangement yeah and there you have <laughs> yeah. i mean like and again you mentioned that story that you tell about like him dropping his line and the contraction of it like the whole thing is part of the reason for that is also because this was made in an extremely tight schedule yeah like they where, had a very where, tight... where, yeah they, they, i think he he tells the story that like he, lloyd was very kind of like um annoyed at himself because he thought like i've ruined a take the, we have to a, do it again. a take and they look at um, um <laughs> and they say they, they 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 look at this linguist and say like has he ruined the take and it's like <laughs> and he knew the answer to give which is like no no that is actually fine yeah we can move on we print <laughs> we it cut it and print on. it <laughs> yeah. well that, that is like and again like i mentioned it when we were watching it yesterday chekhov's collar like yeah. there's this Chekhov is wearing this big Lord Fauntleroy collar during the initial heist of the Enterprise, yeah, in right? In the first act. In the first and then act. In the third act, it comes back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, having never appeared at all. <laughs> but like he just it disappears between cuts, basically. And the way that happened is because like at one point while they were filming it, like um apparently Nimoy was like to, to Koenig, it's like that looks really stupid. Are, are you sure you want to wear it? And it's like, no, I don't want to wear it. I was just given it. And then Nimoy's like, okay, so let's not wear it then but it's, <laughs> it's but, a continuity the, the, but it's like, can, a, like but also in the movie there's like a missing scene where Savick um and spock um uh, ride and and there is a, another missing scene where um the character of um i guess not spock Somebody else will have to approach um Chekhov and say that collar looks kind of stupid <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the Sulu walks up. I was like, "That's that collar looks pretty stupid," and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm wearing a cape. Um, <laughs> but you, like, can't, you can't style that collar. Yeah, you can't pull it off. It. Pretty, yeah. You look about twelve. Um, you look about <laughs> five. You look like you want some rice pudding. Is what you look like you want. But like, uh, it's the, amazing how um, like he is the 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 baby. Yeah, one of the monkeys. Kind of, um, yeah. But like the thing is that like they when they took that off though they didn't have time to go back and reshoot any of the stuff they'd already done because they were on such a tight schedule so that's why that stuff remains in it was a conscious like it, they were aware of it they knew it was an issue but they're just like we don't have time to go back and reshoot it uh, which is fa again that kind of really fast TV production aspect of it let's talk about Crudge because I think like Crudge is a character that I find fascinating I don't think he's one of the great franchise villains but I think he's much more interesting than people generally give him credit for Yeah, you've talked a lot on this podcast and previous episodes about like lloyd as crudge what what's your take yeah no i think he's fantastic i um 
he he's he's very um he he's a character that cares a lot about animals because he has a burned dog um he gets his little moment must... like Khan cradling Joaquin <laughs> which I really like yeah yeah like that dog's in pain all the time because you see it <laughs> you see how it looks it, 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 every it moment of its life is agony horribly burned yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks after it um and therefore he's such a good guy yeah yeah I mean like I love I love his 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 his, his line it's um uh like why what what is it uh, he he refuses to, to to beam up spock to beam up spock and he says uh why, why? <laughs> because you wish it it's yeah. so spiteful he's yeah. like i like the thing that i i find fascinating about crudge is to think of this movie from crudge's perspective where crudge has had like possibly the worst day that anybody's ever had and we're like we're focusing on kirk and kirk's journey to go back to spock but it's like you know first of all Crudge decides he's going to, you know, go to Genesis, you know, break a few rules, that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Then he discovers how he's got to kill his girlfriend. That's That's got to be pretty crappy. He does seem to feel a little bit bad. It's like, well, look, you, you read the data. Guess we got to blow you out of the sky. That's very, very... Anyway, sad. like, totally didn't. <laughs> have to blow her up. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of other ways to get could around Deal with that, that situation. Yeah. yeah. Feels like, like you could have beamed her aboard. Drop, drop your shields and prepare to be, to be boarded. It's like, what is this thing? We're double crossing you. <laughs> and it's like, I have your girlfriend. I'll, I'll kill her. It's like, okay, now blow up the ship. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're in, like, they're really, they're really trying to make good time. He's working on that Genesis TV production. Genesis be closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you seen the cues for this thing? Yeah. The estimated wait time for Genesis. <laughs> um, but like, I mean. Pre-sale tickets are on just going on sale today. They are right to hurry, actually, yeah, as it yeah. turns out. But they don't know that. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> um, but like, so he, you know, he has to, he has to kill his girlfriend. Uh, very sad. Feels a little bad about that. Then he goes to Genesis, and he's like, "Look, he's punching above his weight there as well." <laughs> Little, little bit, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> but I suppose that's always the case in movies and TV shows. Yeah, uh, often. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it makes him relatable. Um, <laughs> but I think that, well, like, fact, it is, to the extent that it very, it very rarely happens the other way around. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It, it very rarely, yeah, kind of happens that. Yeah. But I mean, I think that you have, and then so he goes to Genesis, and he's like, "Look, found a Federation ship here, science vessel. What I want you to do is to disable it." And Martin, <laughs> take like, prisoners. Take prisoners. Maybe ask some questions. <laughs> what we definitely don't want to do is end up implicated in war crimes. You know, like the word, like my day's going bad enough. Let's not implicate us in war crimes. And like it's like, oops, accidentally blew up the entire ship. I and think it's- he's in a lot of trouble already. <laughs> <laughs> like before he blows up that shit. Yeah. It it does, but it feels like the kind of thing you can talk yourself down from. It's like sure went to Genesis. Yeah, you know, sure, maybe I held some people hostage, asked some questions, stole some info. But it's like I blew up a ship full of scientists. Feels like that's the there's no walking back from this point. I feel like we need to know how many people were on board that ship. I'm that's- sure there is an answer in the Star Trek world, but like it's never really reflected on that all those people have died. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love that. They the don't cr- arrive like as sometimes happens in a um like like in like an asteroid field of um like uh, broken, broken parts of ship. Like again, this is like the best of both worlds is a great example of that where they don't have the budget to show you Wolf Three Five Nine. Yeah, so they just show you the aftermath of it. Um, but <laughs> is, is there like a fan created Wolf Three Five Nine? 
Well, I mean, you could argue you see it at the start of Emissary. Yeah. They When they have the budget to go back and do it, they do the whole, um, like, Emissary introduction kind of has a whole yeah. bunch of stuff in there that's very impressive. And you could argue that um, uh, the first contact battle is an attempt to show you what... I think, I think maybe there might be, like, a YouTube video where they've taken first contact and Emissary and kind of, and like, cut, cut them, them together. together, maybe. But, like, I think that you have... And again, so Crudge is like, okay, now I'm implicated in war crimes. I love that he calls the guy an animal when he shoots him. He's just like, <laughs> what you did was completely beyond the pale, and I just want everybody to know that. Um, and again, I love that Mars is like, sir, sir, sir. It's like, say the wrong thing. <laughs> you can tell that, like, Crudge is already on a knife edge. It's like, it's going to take the slightest thing to set him off. And yeah. then, obviously... There were... Yeah. There, there's, like... 13 of us. Yeah. That's unlucky. Yeah. So that I can even kill 12. that guy. Yeah. And I was an even 12. We can't really be losing anyone else. Rest of the day. But gonna... I'll do it. Yeah. Rest of the day is going to be going pretty great. Like, that's the thing. Like, Rathacon... You're now science officers. Like, I... I no I, qualification. I, yeah, yeah. I didn't even do it for the leaving cert. Yeah. Um, um, I feel like the guy who target the guy who used to target the weapons was bad, but at least he knew how to target the weapons. <laughs> um, but, like... And again, the sense that like... I suppose the, everyone working on a starship should probably be good rotated, at science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about a Klingon ship? It feels like it's like... Like that thing that... Enter- They're like, it's, it's, it's more like a submarine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, like it's, it's Enterprise brings up the what about the Klingon architects and carpenters and lawyers and all this sort of stuff. It's like, what what must it feel like to be a Klingon whose job is like, oh, I just, I do... Like I do I'm a janitor or, uh, you know, I, uh, I work in accounting. It's like it's a very honorable tradition that you have brought on this house. Yeah, I mean, there, there there was a problem in the church of like what what about lay people, you know, about people who aren't yeah. priests. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like how how um yeah how how are they going to be like uh, yeah yeah how are so, they made part of all this yeah but like and again like just again from Crudge's perspective he goes down he has to wrestle with a giant maggot which I love that whole sequence where he's he kind a, of, a penis monster yeah yeah um but that, again like he's just he's having a bad day and again more Star Trek movies should have like fashion where he has like the long like coat. he wants to wrestle the maggot though. yeah it feels like that's the kind of day he's been having like I feel like I just need to get this out there um, like, and again, like, I love that when he comes back to the Bird of Prey, he just throws his coat down anywhere. It's like, this is what the ship is. Now I'm just going to dump it, my crap everywhere. But the bit where, like, the, then his dog dies. Yeah. And, like, you get to the point where, like... A at- dog who had already been through so much. <laughs> Looking at him, yes. Yeah. Um, but then, like, even even things like... Oh, the moment where um, he sends the crew over to the Enterprise to take command of the Enterprise. And Crudge is like finally the day is turning round it's like finally i'll have a victory that i can like bring home it's like we're gonna take control of the ship we're gonna move our command over there i want everybody on that ship right away (laughs) and they all beam over it's like the computer seems to be talking (laughs) it's counting down yeah i wonder if this is some kind of microwave (laughs) can you hold it up there (laughs) yeah it's like is it yeah maybe a pop tart careful don't, don't, from it. don't, don't eat it because it'll be very hot <laughs> um, just let it cool down for a moment oh no that's a <laughs> self-destruct mechanism and the moment like and i love that like the the next time you cut to crud so after that like he gives the whole <laughs> no get off that chicken and then it blows up and then you cut to like obviously you cut to all the stuff with like shatner and kirk on the planet 
But the next time you cut to Crudge after that has happened, where I think it is it literally just him and Mar- Mart's on the ship at that point, where he's literally cradling his hands, his head in his hands. And he's like, this fucking day. <laughs> it's like, it started out so good. I had such a great plan for it. And then by the time you get to the climax where he like beams down, just pointing a phaser at Kirk, as you said, the only victory that he has left in him is like, beam up Spock. No. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I hold a crudge. Yeah. That, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, but yeah, like I, I kind of, I love that like after the Wrath of Khan has like Khan as this perfect villain who is like this fourth time, oh, two dimensional thinker, but like this exceptional mind who like plans everything perfectly, gives all these experience soliloquies. Yeah. I love that Crudge is just like a dude. Crudge just... is a renegade. Yes. He's out there kind of unsanctioned. Yes. Like he, he, he had a conversation with the with with the commander of um, Klingon High Command, I think and, you mean and, Commander Klingon. Yeah, Commander Klingon <laughs> was like, um, "I'm Commander Klingon High Command, so I believe in following rules." <laughs> <laughs> I do love, by the way, that like Commander Starfleet says his name like his surname is Starfleet, like it's a family business. He's I been am running. Commander Starfleet. <laughs> yeah. I believe in following rules. Yeah. And what you're su- suggesting wouldn't be following any of the rules that I'm aware of. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to say uh, no. For that reason, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for joining me for this drink. I'm sure there will be no consequences for it whatsoever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, you're taking this very well. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you bring this up? I just I had to ask. Well, I'm glad you did. Thank you. Yeah. No, I just, I, I know it's crazy. I, I, I just thought like... My my friend, who I love like more than anything, um, <laughs> like I would die inside if I didn't attempt this. Um, yeah, but now, since you said there there are rules, um, that's a good point. Um, I do love that it's like apparently like this is just all Commander Starfleet talks about. It's like when he goes to a bar with a friend, it's just like, so you aren't thinking about breaking orders, are you? It's like, no. Good chat. <laughs> it's good as well that they can all go to a bar. And drink after work and go to work the next day because there's synthol. no alcohol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I imagine synthol is full of like vitamins and it's isotonic. It's like that <laughs> uh, non-alcoholic Erdinger. Yeah. It's actually good for you. Yeah. Like, you, you need to be drinking more synthol. You go to the doctor. <laughs> they're like, you know what the problem is? You need more synthol. It's keto. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, and again, thing I love about this movie is, again, silly Star Trek world building stuff. Like, again, I'm a huge nerd for, like, the idea of the Star Trek universe as a lived-in space. Where, like, in the original Star Trek, obviously, you had Klingons and Romulans. And you point out, like, this was originally written for the Romulans were supposed to be the bad guy. Harv Bennett, like, went through and he was like, look... They, yeah, they, they get given very little in terms of, like, movies. It's it's all sort of, like... I mean, they, they, they get insurrection. Right. No, they get uh, nemesis. Sorry, sorry, nemesis is what I mean. I meant, meant, meant to say, yeah. But like, very, very little aside from that, they, they do get, well, they get a, this, a the moment from generations. Yeah, they get the nemesis. They get the reboot, the Abrams reboot, where they get. That's true. That, that I suppose I wasn't counting <laughs> I'm not that. counting that one. <laughs> that doesn't count. Um, In fact, they're better served um, by Abrams than the Klingons are, arguably. Yes, arguably. I mean, again, this is the thing where. Because you got blingons in in into, into darkness, darkness, which yeah. I, I I do not dislike the blingons. I remember no. that's a hot and controversial take coming from Darren Mooney. Um, 
I'm like, look, they're jewel encrusted. What's 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 not to like here? Um, if you have them be sweaty, as well, <laughs> then it's just it's, perfect. Then it, then it's like, uh, yeah, then I'm I, guaranteed not to enjoy it. I I love by the way that like there's a moment here where Kirk rewatches the climax of Star Trek Two, this the uh, the Wrath of Khan, and while we were watching it together, Kirk was watching this on a VHS monitor at like low resolution, and Andrew just goes, so sweaty. The Wrath of Khan was very sweaty Compared to this, yeah, no, I I was noting There's very little sweat in this movie Yeah, Very little sweat in this movie Um, I feel like A a Bird of Prey is Like a pleasantly cool You know, that there's a lot of Kind of coal metal on board And that it is like a submarine That's the thing that they they say Is like, that it's Like modelled on the inside of a submarine To the point where they actually pull down periscopes Yes, in in 5 I think They have like a pull down periscope I think the the thing with the Bird of Prey though is that as you get to 5 and 6 They start like adding smoke to the room Which makes it seem hot Because it's brown and it's smoky So you're like, this must be a hot environment But I think here it just just looked pleasant It's a throne, there's a throne and there's a circle around it Like Maybe it's frost Fair. Like, a, 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 Maybe it's a so cold. Mist. Maybe it's so cold. Yeah. <laughs> they say they, revenge the dish they, best served cold. Yeah. On a bird of prey, it's very cold. They, yeah, they they have like a, a like a fridge freezer <laughs> with 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 like um like six tart hanging inside. upside down. And it's like throw us a cold one. Yeah, and give me a handful of goth, please. Yeah. But I mean, like, and but I, I kind of like that. Like, so obviously, like in the original series, there were the Romulans and the Klingons, and yeah, though I have takes on the Romulans. We do not have time to get into Darren's no. takes on the Romulans. But the they thing got about, lots in Next Generation. Of we, we do. Yeah. If, if we ever talk about Nemesis, they'll talk about the Romulans there. But like the the Klingons, yeah, it was Bennett wrote this as the Romulans. Nimoy was the one who said, Not actually. really Romulans in, in Nemesis, though. It feels like it's kind of... Yeah the, yeah, the Romulans are used... The Romulans are like the... It's not the Romulans you remember. Really. No. Similarly no. to... Like, it's like the, in, in... In the Abrams reboot, you yeah. remember Nero, but you don't remember he's a Romulan. Yeah. You remember Eric Bana with the tattoo, but you don't remember the pointed ears, for example. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, the Romulans are like the... The generic guys. Whatever a Star Trek needs a bad guy to be, the Romulans always are. That's the thing. They have no identity, so to speak. Whereas the Klingons develop a warrior culture and like develop well, they, into... They, I suppose the thing about Romulans is that they're kind of... Themselves and the Vulcans are the same um, species and that they've just had this kind of schism. Yeah. So you already have Vulcans. Yeah. And that Romulans aren't like... A distinct uh, culture, no, like the Cardassians, to the same are, extent, like, yeah, yeah. or the Ferengi, or whatever, or the Borg. Like that's that's the thing is that, it, like, it, yeah, that they don't have something that defines them, and yeah. I, I think that's probably a, a, an issue with Cardassians as well. I, I mean, I, okay. I, I, I think with Cardassians, you define them by like um, their kind of colonialism. Yes, where you did yeah. the the um, like with with Klingons, they're like a warrior race. But you never really see them kind of ruling yeah. people. Well, the Empire, like they're called the Klingon Empire, but you never really deal with their imperialism, which is fascinating. Yeah, like that, you that... never have subjects of the Klingon Empire who aren't Klingons themselves, really. Yeah, you and, and you when it does happen, it's off screen. Like I think, is it? Yeah. Is it? Uh, what's the one where Jordy gets brainwashed? Is it Eye of the Mind or Mind's Eye? I think it is, where like he gets brainwashed. That's a Klingon colony, but you never see anybody who isn't a Klingon. Like that's the thing. And again. That's one of the interesting things about Star Trek to think about is the weird, like, the Federation is friends with the Klingon Empire. Yeah. But the Klingon Empire presumably has this entire, like, subjugated, like, 
demographic group of people where it, it rules, based on what we see of Klingon culture, quite oppressively, uh, one imagines. Perhaps like, not. I, I imagine that they that they let, uh, like, um, agree to, to quite a level of autonomy. Because right. they have no interest in actual, like, governance. They just want to conquer. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. they just want to expand. That you, 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 you would give it, a, like, as an insult. <laughs> Somebody, a uh, governorship. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Because like, you can't go to Stovokor. Yeah, as a governor. He was a very <laughs> efficient administrator is what he was. Yeah. Like, and, like, That's that... what happened to Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> He, Arnold Schwarzenegger is never going to get into Stovokor. Well, he didn't die in battle. Yeah. yeah. He, but like, in all those movies. <laughs> but like that. So he ended up governor. I like that. <laughs> when he refused to die in movies. That was the turning point. Um, after Terminator 2. But like that. That's the. Again. Not not to get too much into that. But like in Deep Space Nine. There's that moment where like Martok is like. Where Worf is like. Come to my cool wedding. With my cool trill wife. And you know. Embrace like all this multicultural crap. And Martok's like. We're Klingons. We don't embrace other cultures. We conquer them. Like that's <laughs> our whole shtick. Um, but like I kind of. And again, like the, the idea of like the Federation just hangs out with these people and is totally cool and has no problems with what they do whatsoever, which is kind of fascinating when you get into like the later thornier stuff. But I like that, like in the original series, obviously the Klingons and Romans exist, but they exist as like just bad guys, generic bad guys. They're metaphors for Russians, Chinese, um, you know, the North Koreans or whatever, right? They're, they're stand-ins for these fears of the other. You know, they don't really have an interior culture. They don't really have an interior perspective. They exist largely as foils for the Federation. And, like, both Motion Picture and The Wrath of Khan are stories about the Federation. You know, you have the Klingons at the start of Motion Picture, but it's about a monster that is heading to Earth. In Wrath of Khan, it's two Federation ships fighting each other, and the bad guys are genetically augmented humans. And I like very nerdily about the search for Spock is that like, again, part of it's just being a sequel to the Wrath of Khan, but it's like the Federation just tested what was basically a nuclear weapon in space. It basically just yeah, it's broke. What, it's what people worried a nuclear weapon would be when they tested it out. Because there were some people at the time who thought that the nuclear it would weapon. the atmosphere, in, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. That it would set up, be, be, because, like, that's how you set up a hydrogen bomb, is by a, 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 a fission explosion. So what if, um, what if water kind of separates into kind of hydrogen and oxygen, and then the hydrogen kind of... Uh, Ignites, presumably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It um, becomes like the, the surface of the sun. <laughs> on, <laughs> and, on, and we're just living here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, I like that this is, like, you know... That's cool for the Federation and all. Pretty great for the Federation. And it's like, what if you're a Klingon and you're witnessing this happening? Like, and I know Krudge is not like a fully formed three-dimensional character with a complex character arc. But he has that moment where he's reviewing the Genesis tape and he's like, speak. Um, And it's like very impressive, very powerful. It's like, he gives this interesting soliloquy, which is just about like, imagine the capacity to remake worlds and imagine the capacity of the Federation, which has been this kind of metaphor for America. The Federation's always been American self-image projected into the future. Like he, he he kind of is talking about homesteaders. Yeah. Pretty much. He's talking about colonization. He's like, yeah. yeah, imagine a green world, your 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 woman at your side and your children at your feet. So your woman's your serving you a beverage. Flag. Yeah. Yeah. Fluttering in the breeze. Your woman who you haven't killed. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. Um, <laughs> but like, I like that the movie kind of gives that, like, 
Crudge's perspective is not unreasonable. And I know the movie's like, he's a bad dude and he's perhaps inept at being Klingon bad. Klingon bastard. Yeah, he's a, you Klingon bastard. Um, <laughs> you he, killed my boy. <laughs> and again, that's another moment where Crudge is kind of like, that was my big chip. That was the one chip that I if had. If I had go- realized that that was your son. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would have held that over you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the day, day, just when you think the day I can't get I do feel anywhere. like I'm winning now, though, a yeah. little. <laughs> Things can only get better from here, yeah. right? My, I've, I've killed my girlfriend <laughs> so that you can't. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I do like the idea of it being, again, it, it's just that it makes sense of the world. Like, it makes the world feel lived in. That is brutal, by the way. The, the killing of, of David. David, yeah, yeah. Um, the bit where like the Klingon's gonna kill um, Savak. By the way, I love you pointed that out. There's a there is a missing scene where like David they see the Klingons tracing them through the forest at night. Yeah, you can see that David the, comes out uh, uh, is the one who's sent out with the phaser. Yes, David is sent out to go deal with the Klingons while I take care of Spock. And the next time you see David, he's like sitting bruised and battered on the floor, looking yeah. completely humiliated. I'd say he, he came up to them and he was like, no further. And they said, put down your gun. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, get on the ground. Put your hands behind your back. Close your eyes. <laughs> and that he did all of those things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the movie, not a big fan of David. David does yeah. not come out of this looking particularly... Like, it's like the moment where Savick is like... Oh, he but, does save their life, yeah. yeah but but well, Savick is like, you know, the whole Genesis thing is revealed to me. And again, like, they talked about how the studio's note was, this movie's pretty, pretty, pretty boy heavy. Like, it's pretty, like, could you not send Uhura, like, on the mission to Genesis? Or, like, what about, uh, you know, Dr. Carol Marcus from the original film, from Star Trek Two? Should she not be in the movie? I love the Bennett. Strange that she isn't. Yeah. Well, Bennett was like, "What I need is I need this to be David's fault. If you put uh, Carol Marcus in the movie, it becomes more complicated." Well, yeah, you because he's essentially Kirk. Yeah. And has all of those kind of faults of Kirk without kind of the wisdom that Kirk has 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 got, and will never gain that wisdom because he 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 ends up stabbed with a dog. Yeah. Um, But like. I love how much nerdy, nerdy language we're using. <laughs> but like, and, and again, we, we should, we should note there, like, a, again, the, the proto-matter stuff where Bennett's talked about how, like, he wanted it to be a moral thing. So, like, David has to, has to have, like, Genesis has to be a con in order for his death to feel like it's some sort of karmic retribution. Yeah. For the audience to feel like he's paying the cost for his arrogance. Like, like Kirk paid for the cost of his arrogance in the last movie as well. And then I guess... Only other big thing to talk about then is maybe the destruction of the Enterprise, because uh, that's a big, big moment. It will shock you, Andrew, shock you to your core to discover that somebody did not think the destruction of the Enterprise was a good idea. And so wrote lots of memos about it. And when Hart Bennett, who was the writer on you know Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3, read those memos and was like, We're, I've decided this is what's happening in the movie leaked his copy of the script to the fan press in order to try and generate outrage to save the USS Enterprise, to claim that the people running the franchise did not care about Star Trek because they were destroying the Enterprise, which was one of the symbols of Star Trek, arguably more than Star Trek. It will not surprise you to discover that that man was Gene Roddenberry. Wow. Yeah. That's a Gene move. It's yeah. like, he shouldn't be... I guess it's he created the thing. So, um, 
you're kind of like now Jean um you've broken confidences before yeah <laughs> <laughs> last time we tried to do something you objected with you leaked your script to the press can you promise you're not going to do it again i swear Jean, can i see both your hands no <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah like they they basically apparently yeah they discover again same methodology they discovered that the script that had been leaked to the press had a serial number on it that corresponded to his own so not even like a good good leak to the press but yeah, didn't apparently scratch out the serial number. <laughs> yeah, didn't cover it with like tape or whatever. <laughs> like again, it's kind of fascinating because you have this battle that ha- begins to happen over Star Trek as it becomes successful again, where you have like it's uh, it, it was Gene Roddenberry's revenge for all those arguments he lost. That son of a bitch. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Amazing moment. Like again, <laughs> that's such a good line. It is. Well, I mean, like this again. There's such warmth here, like even when those the- ghosts get a lot of good lines, e- even if he doesn't really get much kind of uh, maybe until six, yeah. um, kind of to to plot wise. To do, I think he gets yeah. a bit in five. I think five gives yeah. him a bit as well with his father David. Um, I think Bones is just you add Bones to a like that's the thing about McCoy where it was Kirk and Spock in the first season. The only credited leads are Shatner and Nimoy, with Kelly. Kelly is so perfect at what they ask him to do like he's so good he's got such screen presence by all accounts he's a perfect gentleman like the, everybody who works with him is like you know the star trek cast have their own internal uh relationships that are complicated to navigate but nobody has a bad word to say about deforest kelly and like it does seem like you just you give him stuff and he he runs with it and he makes it work like so much like there's the wonderful moment where when they get to mount Silea, and uh, Talar like basically has the moment to to McCoy where she's like, look, this is risky and you're an outworlder and we're asking a lot of you. The risk to you is as severe as it is to Spock. We need you to make that choice. And the camera, like Nimoy, part of me is like Nimoy was very conscious of what he was doing as a director. It begins on a wide shot with Kirk and McCoy together standing like close to the altar. And the camera then just pushes in on Bones and pushes Kirk out of the frame. So it's like, it's Nimoy very graciously saying, this is McCoy's moment. This is, this is the one big moment that like DeForest Kelly gets that is entirely his own. It doesn't matter that Shatner has decided he's standing in the physical space as a camera operator, you know, as a director, I'm choosing to push in. It's, it's beautiful. Like again, and Nimoy would, would jokingly point out that like, as an actor, Obviously, he wasn't in most of the movie, so he was able to direct a lot of it quite handily. As an actor, the hardest part of a movie to direct is the part you're in. Like, and when you're in a scene, it's very hard to direct it because you need to come out and see the daily and then react and then instruct. And you can't get a perspective from inside, from outside simultaneously. And he said the hardest part to film was that scene with um, with McCoy and himself in the Bird of Prey sickbay where he's not only is he in the scene, he's also got his eyes closed. So he can't tell what's going on. And he jokes that like DeForest Kelly would complain that it felt like he was trying to direct me with his eyelids, which I think is a very, very charm. gives you a sense of kind of like how charming. You probably do a lot with his eyebrows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he would say apparently like. Uh, I, I love, by the way, the reaction um, on board the science ship. That's one of the great reactions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when they discover Spock's alive. Has been resurrected. <laughs> I was like. And they, and they just they just cut to like an extra, like the, the, the navigator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the hell's like, She's just she's just listening in on the comp. Like she's not taking part. She's just this. She's like, sure, 
Fine, whatever. <laughs> this is what happens when we let scientists come on Starfleet missions. They get very excitable. Um, again, part of that does feel like Nimoy being like, we're aware of how goofy the concept of this thing is. But it works, I think. I think it, like, it gets away with it because it feels so, so absurd. All right, is there anything we haven't talked about with regards to the search of Spock that you want to talk about? Anything in, in your notes that we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you? Oh yeah, I I I I I did write down the idea of um, Kirk setting his phaser to painful death, <laughs> like, but he 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 doesn't like the it's the the goodness of kind of like the Federation for all of their kind of like hegemonic status that that he doesn't immediately kick um crudge yes. in the face he does eventually <laughs> yeah. when, crudge, when, when crudge, crudge gives him an excuse yeah like when, yeah he reaches out his arm to to to, to, to help, help crudge up, up. <laughs> i've had enough <laughs> of you <Yeah. laughs> um, and and then yeah he falls into lava <laughs> I, right, I i feel like um it's probably i think the shock uh, is what kills you and there's probably not that much Pain. pain involved in 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 like falling into <laughs> into lava from a great height i imagine like even though lava is liquid it's also rock so is it like fall more like falling into a pool or more like hitting <laughs> rock. A, a rock i think it's not the thing where like you don't even have to touch lava to get burnt like you burn your skin before you touch it it's so hot right like it's just convection um the amount of heated air that's coming up off it will burn you alive anyway yeah, yeah. So, but you are falling quite fast. You are. Fa- that's that's fair. <laughs> Do you? Is there are... any point where you're conscious of being like submerged in lava? That's fair. I, I do wonder, I wonder about. That. Yeah. yeah, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say it's probably not the worst way to go. I think, <laughs> I think, um, falling slow, being lowered into lava yeah, from from, from a great feet, height is yeah. Um, would would uh, like when you're being hoisted down into it yeah. would be worse. You wouldn't be given a thumbs up to that particular mode of death. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> a, a, Terminator a, Two reference exactly. Where I, I I feel like the way to go, at some point, if I were um a um a a crudge okay. falling down, I would be trying to point my my hands like in front of me. <laughs> oh, to, to dive! Like. To try and dive, like to try and break break the lava so that my head goes into it like as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> or, maybe, that, or maybe you just go head first that's the way to do it you do like black adam style you just yeah, kind of yeah. just power forward with your head i love that this is where the conversation's gone anything else that you absolutely have to talk about andrew <laughs> with regards to the search for no, make it important no i think it's perfectly valid but yeah i i do i do admire again like the fact that crudge Crudge pushes it so far that he has to go. The moment where they have the guy is it? I don't know if it's Mars, but whoever they have on the ship. But it would be the 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 biggest humiliation. Like if yeah. if he were to be helped up. Yes, that would be like the worst part of his day, and he's had a pretty crap day. I I we maybe if we do the fourth movie, we will find out what happens to the other thing on. Um, but yeah, he he um... help us or die. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kill you later. later. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess, like, yeah, I, the only thing that I he point out... He dies in a tragic accident. On his way back to his home planet. <laughs> um, but I do... Um, again, you have, like, Mark Leonard as, as Sarek returning as well, which is quite impressive. Um, it would be interesting if in the second movie 
there was like this Klingon character. He would need to be very good, though. He couldn't just be a background kind of um, character from the third movie. Yeah. They'd need to recast it. Unless that guy just happens to be great. Yeah. What are they Like, odds? if he's terrific. <laughs> and then they have, like, a fish out of water kind of, like, where he's like, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> very grumpy. I, want yeah. I am not a merry man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do love the idea of like adding to Four's like time travel in San Francisco premise. <laughs> yeah. One of them is a Klingon. One of them is a Klingon <laughs> yeah. and has to blend in. Yeah. He's wearing a bandana around yeah. his head, a very unconvincing <laughs> bandana. Yeah. Um, okay. And then uh, worth mentioning again, the return of Mark Leonard as Sarek. Uh, Leonard had obviously played the role on the TV show. He'd appeared in one episode, which was Journey to Babel. He'd reprised the role in voiceover um, for yesteryear. He's very good. He's phenomenal. Um, he, like he has that, like like he's so believable as well as Leonard Nimoy's uh, father. Yeah. Aside from maybe per, perhaps the 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 age range, but um, yeah. but yeah, I I I, I feel like um, well, Vulcans age differently. Um, I think yeah, they it. they don't crack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sarek don't crack is what Sarek don't crack. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, but like and and again, like it's such a good performance, and again, it's the bit where this feels like a TV show where you're bringing back. Like, you're introducing continuity to Star Trek for the first time. It's like, there are consequences. Like, we mentioned it with, like, the... the I feel like Sarek actually ages less than... Than Nimoy Nimoy does. does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, which is weird. Like, when he pops up on The Next Generation, like, which is... I know it's only, like, 10 years. He's quite well kept, yeah. He's very well kept. Um, And again, like, I just... It's weird that this, and again, it's it's maybe a continuation of like the the Wrath of Khan. It's they weird. live for like hundreds of years, right? Or they live for about like two hundred years. Yeah, yeah. Vulcans yeah. live for two hundred years, which is why you can get Spock cameoing in the Next Generation conveniently enough. But yeah, yeah they do live hundreds of years. Um, but like, it's, I love that. Like these, that is always the choice with like kind of fantasy creatures are with aliens is yeah. that they live longer. Because you can bring him back whenever. Yeah. Androids. Except for Jem'Hadar. (laughs) (laughs) I think they made a clever decision there that they were never... Well, also Jem'Hadar are clones. Yeah. Well, so you can bring back, if you have a popular Jem'Hadar, you can just clone him. Um, Same thing with Weyun, with Vortas and stuff, where it's like, I love that they're like, we finally cast a good Vorta, but then he dies at the end of the episode. It's like, uh, Vorta clone. So it's like, (laughs) we can just keep bringing him back. Like, Jeffrey Combs plays at Weyun 4, 5, 6, and 7, I think, over the course of the show's run, which is quite impressive. 6 ends up being a good one, inexplicably. Um, like, it's... it's Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, I, tangents upon tangents upon tangents. Um, but, I, again, I, I just... don't have time to talk about Damar. <laughs> <laughs> Who goes from being a background extra to, like, the most important character in the series, which is incredible. But, like, again, um, just the fact that, like, I love that these movies weirdly feel more like television than movies because they're like they're heavily serialized characters start coming back you have guest cast coming in like it it's really odd that like the star trek movies for me kind of like work like television like this looks more like the next generation than the With original the star best trek does. actors who are ever in a yeah. like a small episode of that, star that's trek. it yeah. like it's like Kurt back Smith. ricardo montalban and, yeah. yeah yeah like it and and, and uh, mark leonard as well like it's just i find it like Anyway, uh, it's just something that I really like about, like, Star Trek 3, which is, like, I love that I'm, like, what I love about the movie Star Trek 3 is that it doesn't feel like a movie at all. It feels like a big TV episode. All right, then. I think that then just about wraps it up. So uh, before we go, Andrew, anything you'd like to recommend, whether related to the movie, unrelated to the movie, 
Just something you're enjoying. Um, let me see. I guess if I'm being honest, I've been enjoying um tree bean salad it's a podcast it is a podcast um, with jingles that's all darren knows about it that's right yeah it's ben partridge from um beef and dairy network um the podcast for those um involved in or just interested in uh, the production of uh, beef herds and uh and dairy and it's it's uh, like a it's um, a comedy network. I, yes, I, I, yeah. I, am aware, I am aware enough of that. I have enough <laughs> peripheral pop culture awareness. And it's Mike Wozniak and it's Mike, um, sorry, it's uh, um, Henry Packer um, is the third bean um, or the first bean, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> They're um, all equal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, but it, it's essentially the there is a thing that they talk about each week hardly at all. <laughs> that is the topic of the, <laughs> the so the so yeah. say for example like Star Trek Three yeah um, and how we we end up talking about what lava anything else yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so the um and there are a lot of jingles yes yeah that is right uh, um, you did have a note we should have more jingles and I was like Andrew you're the musician of the pair of us um I have no objection to the lack <laughs> to the lack or presence of jingles I am I am agnostic on on the I think it's jingles all the way. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Uh, yeah, in terms of, of recommendations for myself, I mean, I guess uh, the, of the new Star Trek's Lower Decks is is quite charming. Um, I watch that show. I, I review all the Star Trek shows for Escapist. Um, it's fun. Uh, it is. It, it, maybe it's not fun. But um, Lower Decks is the animated one, which I've actually found quite charming, how, and it's grown on me quite a deal, quite a great deal. How would you feel if they were like making X Files all the time, and if it wasn't good? Like? Yeah, that would be kind of what this would feel like. <laughs> um, like I mean, look, and again, we talked about it. it's great that people like this stuff, and it's great that like again, yeah, yeah. It, like, sorry, it, sorry it, I uh, shouldn't say it's kind of like uh, bad not or not good. It's uh, just not what I want from a friend. Like we talked, we we had the the great Handy Mellowish on talking about the Star Wars stuff, and it yeah. was like. Andor was such a breath of fresh air. Like, and I, I want, it's not that I want like a Star Trek that's like Andor about like, I don't know, post-revolutionary politics and like the theory of accelerationism in radical political violence or anything like that. But I want something like Andor for Star Trek, like, I, or even Marvel or whatever yeah. franchise. I want something that's like, it has a clear vision. It has a clear idea of what it is. It's about something. It's saying something. It's well cast. It's well written. It's, you know, it's got things that reflect the modern world in it. And I feel and like... It, like, arguably, was it Discovery, I guess, maybe tried to do that? Yes. I, I But it I was very a, on the nose, as far as I can recall. I am I am a big defender of the first season of Discovery. Um, yeah. I, I really like the first season of Discovery. And my argument... It was subtle, though. No, it was... Well, no. I suppose Star Trek often isn't. But, and it's but, also a first season of something as right, well. And it's yeah. also a season that lost, like, Brian Fuller left it, like, four episodes in because he couldn't work with uh, Discovery... Oh, sorry, with CBS. So, like, you had, like, this big conflict around it as well. And it's like, there's an alternate universe where Brian Fuller got to make his Star Trek show. And I wonder what that looks like, you know? Mm. Um, probably wouldn't have been fully on board still though. no I don't imagine the guy so who did it, Hannibal yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of staring into middle distance and the protagonist is a bit of a wet blanket um, <laughs> so you just, remember your, your hatred of Will Graham <laughs> like, complete disdain for Will Graham as a human being well no just that he's one of those kind of like reminds me a bit of like Adrian Grenier like like that kind of like good looking <laughs> handsome pretty guy who pretty broods. guy yeah who you should don't kind of give you know 
too much to like like that that he he's not going to kind of sorry that, that's maybe mean to, a, to you Adrian, dancing. A, Adrian Grenier oh, okay like he <laughs> a, a, a beautiful man like, yeah and 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 I'm 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 sure kind of I love that I you're like know. that's probably mean to Adrian Grenier but for for you Dancy it's right on the mark. <laughs> Um, no, sorry, I don't want to be unkind to anyone, really. But it, 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 that it, that I, I I didn't enjoy it. But like, like loads of other people did, and yeah. uh, Darren did. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, and all, all is good in the world. But yes, I quite enjoyed Lower Decks. If you're looking for a Star Trek fix, try Lower Decks. Otherwise, uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, I mentioned last time we did like the the Wrath of Khan. I came down and discovered you watching the way of the warrior just <laughs> randomly on television and we just sat down and watched it um so like yeah deep space nine is 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 fantastic and i guess Andor because that's kind of like star trek star wars adjacent all right we'll be back in two weeks uh we'll be doing a long promised episode we'll finally be finishing our season of francis ford coppola movies apocalypse now the wonderful brian lloyd from entertainment.ie the sensational alex towers from when irish eyes are watching both of them will be joining us to talk about francis Ford Coppola's 1979 Apotheosis of New Hollywood. So check us out then. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. This is Darren from the future, um, and welcome to the post credit scene from our episode covering The Search for Spock. First things first, a minor correction. Uh, earlier, I described Ruse Degar, the Guy Ritchie movie, as a movie about the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. It appears that I had conflated that with an upcoming Guy Ritchie movie about the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare called The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. In my defense, ruse de gar is a technical term for the warfare employed by the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, so I feel like I can maybe get away with that, plus I was very tired and I hadn't seen the movie yet. Uh, ruse de gar is not good. It is a movie that had the misfortune of being filmed and produced in 2022, only for the production team to realize they had made a movie in which the villains were Ukrainian gangsters, and therefore had to be cut to ribbons for release in 2023. The most notable thing about it is that it stars... Jason Statham as Orson Fortune, which is perhaps the best name in the history of cinema. And also because I did promise that I would spoil The King's Man, the prequel to Guy Ritchie's Kingsman, the mid credit scene in that movie has to be seen to be believed. The basic premise of it is that it unfolds against the backdrop of the First World War, and it features various historical domain characters. You know, you have Franz Ferdinand in there, for example. You have Grigory Rasputin is the primary villain for the movie itself. You have various other kind of characters uh, who are based on real people. And throughout the film, you have this idea of the villains manipulating uh, the course of historical events. Through the film, they are responsible for placing Vladimir Lenin in control of Soviet Russia. And the post credit scene ends with the character of Eric Jenhanusson, played by Daniel Bruhl, introducing Lenin to his opposite number, that's right, Adolf Hitler. I am not making this up. That is the post credit scene for the Kingsman, introducing Adolf Hitler. And I don't really feel like there's anything more I can say after that. So, uh, yeah, see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye.